get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis. That's right. Grant Francis in the house is BK is dancing with Mickey Mouse. I'm Alex Ferrario as it's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. I can't make fun of him too much because I'm going to be doing that in two weeks. So I guess par for the course, I right? No, you don't. Well, you want to go to Disney World? Yeah, you go I'm, with my two girls. That's okay. I'm down. You want to take, uh, take my wife and the girls to Disney World? Sure. Grant, you in? I'll be in Italy. Thanks, though. Oh, we are this flexed. guy's just name dropping Italy flexed. over yeah. here. Oh, I'll okay. be in Italy. I will be in Rome. I'll also be in Italy and Rome, just at Epcot in Disney World, oh. which I've heard is the exact same thing. Yeah, well, I'd prefer the real thing. <laughs> the Blues will be an all-star break when, T- when Grant's in Italy and I'm on vacation and T-Bone's still working. But for now, they're getting ready to go to Washington, D.C. to take on the Capitals, looking to snap a two-game losing streak. Only the second time under Drew Bannister that they've had back-to-back losses. So it'll be interesting to see what they have to show against that Capitals team. And guys, they're going to have a different lineup to show against that Capitals team. Not so much personnel, although there is one personnel move. We'll talk about that in just a bit. But Drew Bannister, who... As I look through my lines book, every single game, he's pretty much kept it the same. Now, he's made tweaks due to injuries. He's made tweaks due to, like, the third or the fourth line. But your top six, your top four pairings, that's all been the same under Drew Bannister. That's changing after that last game where we saw Kasperi Kapanen get moved up. So according to Lou Korak and Matt DeFranks, who are out at practice currently, your top line is Pavel Buchnevich with Robert Thomas and Jake Neighbors. Now... Jake Neighbors is playing there. Kasperi Kapanen was playing there in the last game, but Kapanen's hurt. Again, we'll talk about that momentarily. So it's Booch Thomas Neighbors. It's Hayes, Shen, and Kairou, which they're interchanging Hayes and Shen as the centermen there. Sod Walker, Sunquist, Toropchenko, Alexandrov, and Blay. And on defense, you've got Letty Pareko and Krugan Kessel are put back together. Perunovic and Justin Falk are the other deep pairing. So let's start there. Let's start with the defense because two games, and and we talked about this yesterday, T-Bone, it did not look good with Krug and Falk. Maybe Falk is still dealing with a little bit of nagging injury. I mean, for what he was out with, it's it's tough to come back as quick as he did. Um, But it did not look pretty, Falk and Krug together, so much so that Drew Bannister said, we're going back to the rookie to play with Tory Krug. Those two worked really well together. If you go back and look at the teams they've gone up against, Kessel has still not been on the ice for a goal against at even strength. That's the D pair that I wanted to see Drew Bannister go with because right now, Matt Kessel is getting the best out of Tory Krug. Tory Krug's getting the best out of Matt Kessel. I know it sucks because you see Falk and you say he's a third pair defenseman. He shouldn't be. I think that, I don't think that has anything to do with the pairing he's on and everything to do with the chemistry that they had in their top four. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it has to do with the chemistry. And 
credit to Kessel. He's been really good since Very he got good. up here. I mean, you just mentioned it. Has been on the ice for an even strength goal. And the Krug and Falk pairing, let's not just go with the last two games. Let's go basically since the start of the season. All season. It just hasn't looked great at all. At, at any point have I thought that the Krug and Falk pairing has been playing really good hockey. So you have them struggle early on. You get Falk that deals with an injury. Kessel comes in and we talked about it. Tory Krug played really well with Matthew Kessel. He has a stay-at-home partner while Tory Krug's the guy that's bringing the puck up the ice trying to get in the rush and playing that offensive mindset which is Tory Krug's game. So Went back to that Krug-Falk pairing. It looked terrible. Let's just be honest. The last two games. I'm glad to see him say, you know what? If we're going to win and they're trying to get into the playoff hunt, they've been saying that from the get-go this season, their best pairing, their best way to go into tomorrow night's hockey game and potentially for this next stretch here in January is to have Kessel in the top four because he's playing like a top four defenseman. And I'll be curious to see how Scott Pernovich and Justin Falk play because they didn't really play much together when Falk came back from injury because it didn't take long before Falk got shot up into that second pairing. I'll be curious to see what Pernovich looks like with Justin Falk because he's another puck-moving defenseman. And I just mentioned how Krug, a puck-moving defenseman, struggled with Justin Falk on his right side. I'll be curious to see what Pernovich looks like with Justin Falk with him. For for reference, uh, Grant, before you give your thoughts, just looking at the Blues defensive pairings this season, uh, according to moneypuck.com, expected goals against per 60 minutes. So they're averaging about the expected goals that get scored when this deep pair is on the ice. The worst has been Perunovic and Scandella. Uh, they've played over 187 minutes, and it's 3.16. The The second worst, though, is Krug and Falk. They played 562 minutes together and a 3.11 expected goals against. Krug and Kessel? a 2.02 expected goals against. Your best, surprisingly, has been Perunovic and Colton Pareko, which <laughs> someone, smart on, someone on, this, part on this show has been saying uh, they should go together. Well, to be fair, Letty a, and they're per- not on the ice much, and B, when they are on the ice much, the other team's probably just dumping and chasing because hey, the Blues are down. Or because those deep pairs are awesome and you can't get the puck from them. You know, we'll never know. Pareko and Letty, by the way, 2.8 expected goals against. So Krug and Kessel, over, like, 500 minutes played, or I'm sorry, over 100 minutes played together have been the best deep pairing for the Blues. Yeah, which is surprising. And I mean, you just look at Justin Falk in his last two games. I just looked this up. He was a minus five with one shot on goal in the past two games. Like those are the only numbers he really has. He had three block shots in the last game. So give him credit for that. But I mean, it's, it's not enough for Justin Falk right now. And maybe that injury that he had is still nagging. We don't know. But I mean, at the end of the day, Matt Kessel is bringing Tory Krug up, yeah. which, I mean, when you talk about a rookie, it should be the opposite. You should be talking about your veteran players bringing your rookies up. It's been the opposite. Matt Kessel has made Tory Krug look better than he has. But I think he's been making Krug look better, and this this is the credit to Tory Krug that I think he deserves. Tory Krug has played a lot with another offensive-minded defenseman. Justin Falk likes to get into the rush. So does Tory Krug. Tory Krug's game is off of the rush. The problem is when you've got two defensemen jumping into the play and jumping in on offense, one has to take a step back. And you're putting one in a tough spot that they're not normal They're not normal to, they're not used to. Whereas now with this one, Krug has been able to look more like himself, the guy he was in Boston, because he's got somebody that he trusts has his back defensively. So if Krug chips in a little, one, the forward's got to cover for him, but two, you know Matt Kessel is back there. Whereas before, he chips in, Justin Falk is chipping in, you've got odd man rushes the other way. Are they great defensively? Maybe not. But Tory Krug is benefiting his game because he's got a stay-at-home defenseman, Matt Kessel, also. And this is what we've been talking about for the past two seasons that's, that the Blues have not had, is that stay-at-home defenseman that can just 
solely focus on the defensive side of the puck and not worry about the offensive side as much, which, as you said, is giving Tory Krug more of an opportunity to do what he's best at, which he hasn't had the chance to do recently. And I also think about the accountability, which is something we've talked about ad nauseum lately. This is accountability. Like, Justin Falk has been playing great the past two games. Yeah. Matt Kessel has. Yes, he's a rookie, but he's earning it right now. That's the accountability, and I love it from Drew Bannister. Yeah, I do too. So the other one, and, and I don't know if you can use accountability because Kyrou's played well over these last couple of games, but I think it's an accountability on the entire offense. You guys aren't scoring. We need more offense. He's gone back to Thomas Buchnevich and Neighbors, which that trio was a big reason why Jake Neighbors went on that torrid pace about 10 games where he was picking up goals, and you put Kyrou with Shannon Hayes so you're looking for more offense on your forward side and he's changing that up at the forward position and that leads us to the Kasperi Kapanen side of it so Kapanen blocked a shot in that game uh what was it the the game that they played against Philadelphia so Tuesday my days are all jacked up right now Monday blocked the shot I thought he was going to be out came back finished the game great but Typical how this goes. You take the boot off, you take the skate off, and your foot swells up. He's out four weeks with a lower body injury. Uh, and the Blues have called up Adam Gaudet. And I've mentioned his name a lot before. Adam Gaudet, they acquired him in that trade with Ryan O'Reilly from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, this season in the Th- American Hockey League, he has the most goals scored of any player. 24 goals in 37 games, 36 total points. Uh, and he will be joining the Blues in Washington. My gut tells me... It's probably going to slot in either on that second or third line. But now you're going to get a chance to evaluate at what an Adam Gaudet is. He's a goal scorer. Does he provide a little spark to your offense that you're desperate for? Yeah, just keep churning through those guys down in the AHL and see which one sticks, if any of them stick. And look, I think Gaudet's earned this. I mean, you look at his numbers down at with the Springfield Thunderbirds, 37 games, and he's got 36 points. So he's almost a point-per-game guy and got 24 goals. And... 24 goals, and look, that's not going to translate to the NHL level, probably. But the Blues need to start getting shots on net. And that tells me right there that he's a shot-first mentality kind of guy. So you slot him in the lineup. He's probably going to be, my guess is third or fourth line. I'm not 100% sure. Lou just tweeted out that Walker and Sundquist are rotating at center and wing, so that tells me he's going to be a third-line player with Sundquist and Saad. Yeah, and they'll just be looking for him to basically throw the puck on net. And and you know, I... I, I don't mind the call up. Let's see what he has. Why? Like, what do you have to lose at this point if you're the St. Louis Blues? You've created some space by putting Captain on IR, dealing with an injury. So I'll, I'll be curious to know what Gaudet looks like. And I do find it interesting for Bannister to break up that top line. But I can understand it because maybe you're hoping that Cairo can help get Shen going with him on his wing. And if you're Jordan Cairo, who's played really well since Bannister took over, he's got 14 points in 13 games played with seven goals. And you move up that neighbors to that top line, which has the best expected goals for percentage with any line combination that's played 100 minutes for the Blues. I think that's a sign of, okay, let's see if we can get a little bit more depth of scoring here in our top six by moving Kyra down to the second line. And then let's see if we can get Chen going. And we're bringing up Gaudet, and we'll see if he can provide a spark for the third line. Trying anything they can because we talked about it yesterday. Has the new coaching effect kind of, that new coach bump worn off? I'm not 100% sure. But it had kind of gotten stale with the same lineup over and over and over again to where it is, okay, we have to do something if we're going to try and get more points here against Washington because we'll talk about this a little later on in the show. The Western Conference, the Blues have played well in the last 10 games. 
Western Conference doesn't care, though, and it's starting to push them down lower in the standings. I think you're seeing Drew Bannister start to get comfortable enough to say, like, all right, I've been here long enough, now I can start making my edits. You know, like, I think for yeah. the longest time, it's you let it, let it play itself out, let players do what they do. You're just stepping as the, in, as the interim. Now you're starting to get to the point where it's like, all right, let's start making my tweaks to it. And I think that's part of it. You know, he said, I think it was Monday going into that game, Kevin Hayes is really good at possessing the puck. It's hard to get it off of his stick. That's why you put him with Shen and Kairou. You need to get more pucks to Kairou. Shen and Kairou work really well together. Uh, Adam Gaudet, for T-Bone's question, that what can expect from him, I mean, 24 goals, the most in that AHL. Uh, a scouting report on him, he, he's a shoot-first guy. He, he's not a defensive player. He's... I mean, a little bit of a Yakub Verana, to be honest with you. He's just going to shoot the puck more. He's not a defensive liability, but he's going to be in the offensive zone. He's got 130 shots, third most in the American Hockey League. My guy just shoots. So if you're bringing him up, you're bringing him up because you need offense. And now you're getting to the point that if Neighbors starts to click because he's gone silent a little bit over these last few games, if Kairu starts to click and gets Shen and Hayes going, now we're talking about three solid lines that you can trust and Drew Bannister can get more offensive from, which is something that this team has been very desperate for over these last four to five games. Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. If any more news comes from Blues Camp, we'll uh, keep our Blues practice. We'll keep you updated, but they're headed to Washington to take on the Capitals tomorrow night, which Grant and I will have your first Community Credit Union pregame starting at 5 o'clock. We'll talk more hockey. David Panyota of the fourth period and series XM NHL Radio is going to join us. Uh, we are entering trade deadline season, and David's one of the best when it comes to those conversations, so he'll join us at 11.30. But coming up next, another top 10 list was released by Major League Baseball Network yesterday. It did not include one young Cardinals outfielder, but could he crack that list after this season? We'll discuss next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, I didn't think I was going to cook on a top 10 list by Major League Baseball Network in the offseason, but here we go because I just got fired up about it after I just saw a video on Major League Baseball Network. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. So they've been doing the top 10 list for positions throughout the offseason. We saw Sonny Gray was in the top 10 for pitchers. Wilson Contreras was in the top 10 for catchers. Were there any other positions that Cardinals players that they've done so far? Uh, I don't. I don't think, think they've so, gotten any of the other very positions. Yeah, so they just had their right field top ten list on Major League Baseball Network, and the, on that list, Ronald Acuna Jr. makes sense. T Bone's probably not going to like this one. Kyle Tucker was on this list, not a superstar. He's a superstar. You understand that now. Juan Soto. Kind of, oh, he's kind of overshadowed when I made that comment sure. two years ago. Overrated, am I right? Juan Soto, Corbin Carroll, Fernando Tatis, who. I'm assuming he's a right fielder now. He was a shortstop. I, I can't keep track with all of these guys. Seiya Suzuki, George Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, Adolis Garcia, Josh Lau. Those are the top 10 that Major League Baseball had as their right fielders. All of those names make sense that Jordan Walker's not on that list. Not a great season by Jordan Walker, but those guys are proven players in the outfield. But then I just saw a video, Brian Kelly and... Uh, another one of their analysts, they don't have his name on here. They were discussing why our Cam, Cameron Mayburn, sorry. They were discussing wild card options in the outfield for that top 10 list. And Brian Kenny had 
Will Benson from the Cincinnati Reds, who has played a total of 128 games in his Major League Baseball career. And then Cam Maven had Lane Thomas. And now is where I start to cook. Lane Thomas, great season, don't get me wrong, 26 home runs. Cardinals fans were talking about Lane Thomas last year. But I think I would have a Jordan Walker, at least in the wild card conversation, going into this upcoming season than a Lane Thomas, who maybe just had a one-off. I know it's about his defense. Frankly, if you're Jordan Walker, you fix your defense, you're on this top 10 list for what the expectations are. But I'm surprised that he wasn't at least in the conversation for that top 10 list after this past season. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for Walker was the defense because of like his war was dragged down because of it. And that's what a lot of these numbers are looking at, war, OPS. I What's mean, it good for? You're, you're right. Uh, that's right, too. But uh, <laughs> Lane Thomas, I mean, 114 OPS plus, so he was 14% above league average last year. Jordan Walker finished the year 14% above league average offensively. Yeah. So defense was the only thing that's dragging him down. But, you know, I... People are going to probably say this might be a little crazy, but... But Juan Soto, I, whose offense is incredible, by the way, his defense isn't any good. Yeah, but again, his offense is just at Understandable. a completely different level. Yeah. Um, and he's probably more of a left fielder at this point in his career, or he should be. Right. We'll see what the Yankees do. But I I think it's not crazy to think that Jordan Walker could be like sixth on this list by the end of this season if his defense improves, and I expect his defense to improve. I mean, he mentioned at Winter Warm-Up how... He's been working with Jose Okendo down in Florida this this uh, offseason to work on first step quickness, reading balls that are in the air. I, and I thought last year, and you tell me if you think differently, I thought by the end of last year, he looked really, I wouldn't say great, but he looked solid defensively out in right yeah. field. He looked comfortable. I wasn't nervous when there was a fly ball to him at the end of the season compared to at the beginning of the season. I didn't know how he was going to play yeah, it. I, at the beginning of the year, every time a ball sits right field, I went, oh boy, <laughs> here we go. Uh, I didn't feel that way at the end of the year. So if his defense can get to average, above average, and then offensively he continues to take strides, I don't think it's crazy to say that he can be viewed as a top 10 right fielder in Major League Baseball. I think it's a, it's going to be tough to crack the top five of Tatis, Carroll, Soto, Tucker, Acuna. Yeah. But can he be better than Seiya Suzuki, who last year had an 842 OPS, was 24% above league average? Like I think it's possible we could see a 810 to 850 OPS from Jordan Walker and a guy that could get like 25 home runs this season. I was just looking at Teoscar Hernandez and thinking like two years ago, I could understand that conversation last year, although he had 93 RBIs, uh, he hit 258 and his OPS plus was 106. So he wasn't anything to get excited about. And I mean, obviously his team didn't think so because he's a free agent right now. So like, yeah, Teoscar Hernandez, I think next year you could be looking at Jordan Walker being better than that player. Josh Lau was another one who had a good season, but I think it comes down to the defense for Jordan Walker. And if you get average and your power continues to showcase in the outfield, especially with this Cardinals team that so many are doubting if they're going to be good this upcoming year, if Jordan Walker's defense just gets to above average, I think you are talking about a top 10. Now, is he 7th or 8th on this list? Absolutely. But the projections and the expectations for Jordan Walker is you know, maybe he could climb up into that top 5 because if your defense is average, Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr. is showing you right there if your offense carries your career, you're going to be in that top five conversation. Yeah, and I, I think for Jordan Walker, not the defense is the most crucial part for him because I mean we've talked about it. If if he can't, if he's at the level he was last year defensively, then it kind of changes the whole equation for what this outfield looks like because then you may have to play Carlson a little bit more than what they're intending to uh, right now. Um, but I, I think offensively for him, 
you started to see it at the end of the year, and the Cardinals talked about it. I know fans didn't like it at the time, how he's hitting the ball on the ground too much. I don't think that's going to be an issue for him this year. I think you're going to see a little bit more of that lift, which is going to result in more doubles, more power in terms of going gap to gap, I would believe. So I, I don't think it's crazy to view him as a, I don't know, league average defender and like a top 10 offensive right fielder. And what that would do for the Cardinals, like if you, if we start to think about that kind of in like the, okay, not just focus on right field as a position, but look at the Cardinals lineup. If Walker is a top 10 right fielder, and I think it's fair to think he should be, I mean, you're talking about just an incredibly deep lineup when you're looking at like that two through six in your order because you'll have Goldschmidt at first, who's still going to be a top 10 first baseman. Arnado's still a top 10 third baseman. Gorman may not be a top 10 second baseman, but he has just unbelievable power that is adds an extra punch to the lineup. And then you've got Contreras, a top 10 catcher, and Jordan Walker, a top 10 right fielder. That's the making of a legitimately great lineup that can hopefully get you kind of to the promised land of the postseason, and then it just comes down to what your pitching does there. Here's yeah. a question for you that I had the thought, and then Lisa brought it up on the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. She said he's a first baseman. With all the talk about Goldschmidt, the hesitance on both sides for an extension, do you think there's anything there? I, I don't think he's a first baseman. I think he's a, I think Burleson's your first baseman. I, or if anything, if Arenado steal your Gorman might be your first baseman. I think Jordan Walker is your right fielder. Mostly because you're grooming him into that position. Like you've spent the last couple of years working with him. He's just spent this entire offseason in right field. If you felt like he was your first baseman, I think you'd be seeing him at least take reps at that spot. I think they're going to solely dedicate the outfield to Jordan Walker this upcoming season. And uh, a couple of people are texting in saying like, oh, he was on the wild card for a couple of different analysts. Maybe I missed that, but I'm looking at MLB now and they have the ones that missed out. Uh, Carpenter with the Detroit Tigers, Santander with the Baltimore Orioles, Kepler with the Twins, Castellanos with the Phillies, Soler with the Marlins. you like this one. Tyler O'Neill with the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, oh, yeah. On, ma- on Major League Baseball Network, the guys that just missed, according to their 2023 statistics, Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, that guy's an all-star this year. And, Get the hell out of here. Yeah, and, and for Jordan Walker, I mean, a lot of those guys that were just listed are like purely home run hitters. Absolutely. Like Kepler, just more of a slug, baby slug type hitter. Walker's an all-around player. Like Walker, I mean, he hit 276 last year, and that was before he started to get the ball off the ground. He crushes the um, baseball when he hits he, it. He hits the ball extremely hard. I think he's going to hit for average, and he's going to hit for power. We'll see where the on-base goes, because he's kind of a free swinger. I don't know if he's going to draw enough walks to really rise that on-base. Um, but to, to Lisa's point on him being a first baseman, I— I hate to say it, but he's the right fielder for the next at least six years oh, yeah. in St. Louis. His time in St. Louis expect, is outfield. I expect a contract extension for him because he's too athletic. I mean, look at him. He He's a freak of nature when he's on the base yeah. pass. I, I know he stole seven bases, only seven bases last year, but you saw the speed in Jordan Walker. Right. And once he starts to get down and gets more reps in the outfield and starts to get a better idea of how to get hit, get the reads right once the ball comes off the bat— He's going to be an elite defender in terms of his closing speed, and he's got a cannon of an arm. So I I think he can become a great defensive right fielder. It just takes time because this was only year, what, year one and a half in right field? yeah. Because last year he didn't start, or two years ago, excuse me, he didn't start taking reps in the outfield to like the all-star break in Springfield. So he's really only been in the outfield for a year and a half for a guy that was a natural third baseman. And when when you look at a first baseman, and this isn't like a shot against Goldie, but most of those guys just don't have an arm and don't have any type of real range. They're more of a guy that is a specialist at like picking the ball um, and just defensively sound in terms of 
picks at first base. There's no there's no like one thing you have to be great at defensively at first base because when you think of the outfield, what do you need? You need a cannon of an arm, and right. Jordan Walker's got that. Yeah, and I think it's there's going to be a ton of dudes that have a lot of focusing on them, uh, but Jordan Walker's going to have one of those that could put him into that star conversation after this upcoming season. Their next one is their left fielders. I'll be interested to see where Lars Nupar finishes on that one. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up at 15, we've got our questions and answers segment. Send us your questions, 314-399-9646. We'll get to those coming up in just a bit, but coming up next, David Pan. Yoda of the fourth period and series XM NHL radio. He's going to join us to talk about the blues and talk trade deadline because we're getting closer to that season. We're wondering where the blues fall into that conversation. So we'll touch on that with David Panyota next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario, as it is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, under two months away from the trade deadline, which seems like, why the hell are you bringing this up right now? But you know when it, how it goes. Once you get out of that uh, winter classic, the Christmas break, everybody starts talking uh, trades, and one of the best covering the trade front in the National Hockey League is um, our good buddy David Panyota. He's the editor-in-chief for the fourth period. He's also a host on Sirius XM NHL Radio and on NHL Network. You can follow him on Twitter at the fourth period. David, it's great to catch up with you, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic, man. And uh, as we enter this trade deadline season, it gets more and more enticing. And we always love talking with you about it. But first things first, let's start just big picture with the Blues. What were your expectations coming into the season and how are they met right now with how the Blues have played? You know, going in uh, once once the year got underway back in October, I, I thought this team was going to be a, a a club that battles for a wild card position. And um, you know, depending on how you know third seed, I thought Colorado and Dallas would be atop. Depending on on the third slot, could it be a race between Winnipeg, uh, St. Louis, Minnesota? Kind of that that grouping, and then Winnipeg just decided to run away with everything. So. <laughs> Uh, they, there's, they've surprised a lot of people, but they've, they've been playing excellent hockey. So because of that, I thought, you know, okay, you'll battle for a wild card position. But with the way the Blues have, have performed, little up and down, bit of a roller coaster type of season so far, at least in the first half. They sit five points out of a wild card position right now. Um, still, still within reach. Uh, I thought they'd be a little bit closer to the halfway point, but, but certainly still within reach. Well, you mentioned five points out of wild card spot right now, and their last ten games, David, eight of those ten games have been against playoff teams, and they've gone five, four, and one in that stretch. But yet, no. before that ten game stretch, they were three points out. Now they're five points out. Do you feel like the Western Conference is starting to kind of push them, kind of lower and lower, and push them more towards sell mode once we get to the trade deadline? It, it could be. I mean, I think the next couple of weeks here, once we get to February, are going to be indicative of, of how they're going to approach. 
um, the, the the deadline on March eighth. Um, if there's still you know five points or, or or even further from a wild card position in, in the next two months, or right after, or excuse me, two weeks, right after All Star Weekend, um, then you, you kind of look to say, okay, well, I mean, look, you look at this team; they don't have too many pieces in terms of rentals uh, assets that could potentially be available. I think Marco Scandella would be the only one that would fit that bill. Um, playing on an expiring contract on the back end, so the, the way they're going to approach this, I believe, will be more geared towards the long term in mind and, and beyond this season. Um, but if if they're within striking distance, um, you know, in, in a couple of weeks' time, a few points out, something to that effect, then that may shift Doug Armstrong's mindset a little bit and put him more so into the um, trying to add now not necessarily be big players from a rental market perspective from from trying to add um but it may escalate as part of his search to to further improve this roster for the now and beyond this season i think that's the primary mindset going into this uh, deadline season for the St. Louis Blues. We're talking with David Panyota, editor-in-chief for the fourth period, also Series XM, NHL Radio, and NHL Network. Uh, David, you, you mentioned kind of the, the, the clutter that is the Western Conference right now, and let's go down the hypothetical yeah. path that the Blues kind of trail off a little bit, but everyone else around them is fighting for a spot. D- does that push teams into a position to where they might be more willing to look at long-term contracts at the trade deadline because maybe there's not as many sellers as there typically is if a lot of teams are in a playoff spot? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, when, one of the things we've noticed over the last few years is some teams not only looking to get guys on expiring contracts, and, and, and a lot of it obviously is circumstantial, but bringing in a player that may have another year left on the contract, may have extra terms, so you're not just if you feel you've got a, a window to compete and it's beyond this year, it's not just this season, it's you know next year and, and the season after that, then some teams are a little more inclined to go after a player with a little bit of term left on their deal so that you have that guy for not just this potential playoff run, but next year as well. So, again, the, the, I think the, from a Blues mindset perspective, I, I think this is more geared towards um, – Whatever they end up doing, if there's anything of major significance, I think it's going to have an impact uh, as much as it would now as it would in two, three years from now. I think they're going to be looking at something that is more, uh, I guess, both now and, and future rather than strictly the now. I, you know, Looking at what they're, they're doing, we, we know Army's never afraid to, to make a big impact type of move. Um, and we, we could see some creativity from his perspective if, um, if if something kind of bounces his way. And I know it's early in this trade deadline conversation, David, but you, you mentioned them being yeah. creative and looking for the future. Can you see them doing a little bit of buying and selling, maybe looking for a defenseman that could fit long-term in terms of sliding into their top four and being kind of a buyer like a Jacob Chikrin potentially? Potentially. We, we certainly know, you know, going back to last season before Chikrin, specifically him, before he was traded to Ottawa from, from Arizona, um, a little over 10 months ago, actually, um, uh, St. Louis was a player for him. They, they, they were engaged. They had interest. Now, his name is out there again. Ottawa is willing to listen uh, from, from what I've been told, and, and they're not going to shy away from that. Um, doesn't necessarily mean they'll make a move now, but this is the type of player with one year on his contract um, that you know, contending teams could look to, to. Well, this is twofold. One, if you're a contender, you're looking at him now and next season for playoff runs. 
Um, and as, as, as aside from that, you're also looking at the potential of bringing him in long term. He's eligible to sign an extension July 1st. If you feel confident he could be a player for you that, that you can sign um, to a longer-term deal, then I think that's something that they would potentially explore at the same time because they have um, the Blues do a, a strong presence on that back end and a lot of money invested on that back end. If they do make an impact move for, for a defenseman, I, I believe one of the well, I guess one of the core guys right now would, would likely be on the outs. Not necessarily in the same deal, but um, you know, don't be surprised. And their names have been out there before. Certainly, Tory Krug, Colton Pareko. Don't be surprised to be hearing them again uh, over these next few weeks. Uh, final one for David, because I know you're you're tight on your time here, David, and we appreciate you hopping on with us. Who are those names other than Pareko and Krug that you just mentioned that you believe would be intriguing to other teams around the NHL? Well, I, I think it's a, it would be a combo of intriguing to other teams and also the, the, the Blues and, and Doug Armstrong's willingness to potentially part with them. Um, certainly, you, you, I mean, look, teams inquire all the time about you know some of the top assets on, on clubs. I think from a realistic side of things, you're probably looking at um, you know somebody like again going back to the model of an extra year on their contract. Somebody like Pavel Bushnevich, for example, um, who has another year left on his deal beyond this season, potentially a player that you know some teams would look at as as an option. Um, you know. What, uh, there are a few other pieces. I know Kevin Hayes' name's out there a little bit. He's got two extra years on his contract. Um, I think whether it's it's modifying the decor or trying to bring in some additional offense or secondary scoring to this group, uh, I think the primary names with guys that have term um, that that would be out there are guys that uh, you know we we just talked about. I mentioned both Pareko and Krug. I think up front, I'm not anticipating too much. Uh, from them in terms of bodies leaving the forward grouping, um, other than maybe a team looking at a guy like Bushnevich with another year on his deal, and maybe they're willing to pay a bit of a premium to pry that asset out of St. Louis. Other than that, I think um, in terms of core guys, again, don't be surprised over these next six weeks or so to hear a little bit more out of Pareko or Krug's name. David, always appreciate the time, my man. People can follow you on Twitter at the fourth period. I know we'll be talking again as we get closer to the uh, March 8th trade deadline. Definitely. Thanks so much, man. Awesome. There you go. David Pagnota, editor-in-chief with the fourth period, uh, host at uh, XM NHL Radio and NHL Network. And, you know, just to what he was talking about, they the fourth period has a uh, trade watch list, a top 25 in 2024. It's the main reason why we got him on, because, yes, it's very early to talk trade deadline, but... They've got one out. Frank Saravalli with Daily Faceoff has one out. And uh, to his credit, Colton Pareko is on that list. Tori Krug's on that list. Now, I highly doubt Colton Pareko is going to get traded. Agreed. Actually, I would say it's not happening because of how he's played this season. But, you know, Tori Krug, Nick Letty, you heard him mention Pavel Buchnevich's name. We brought it up. Uh, you don't want to talk about it because you've seen a lot of improvement from these guys. But on the flip side, and we'll get into this a little bit later, this is how you expedite exiting out of the retool is you trade pieces that other teams find intriguing at this time. Yeah, I found what he said there at the end there about, you know, wouldn't expect much movement from the forward group. I I find that to be a little bit interesting because not so much for the fact that do they have appealing pieces in the forward group in terms of like rentals, not to the extent that they did last year. They had Barbashev, O'Reilly and Tarasenko. But could someone have some interest in a captain to be brought in as like a fourth line or third liner for their team? But the ones that we talk about are the ones with term. Brandon Saad, you heard him mention yeah. Kevin Hayes' name's kind of floating around it out there. It was on uh, Saravalli's trade list. Yeah, and 
and Pablo Bucinet, which is the one, of course, that's going to be the most intriguing. Right. And I, I think if you're the Blues, you're telling teams you're holding on to Pablo Bucinavich unless you get the godfather offer. And, and there will be teams calling be about Bucinavich. Yeah, and that's what's going to be interesting as we get to the, closer to the trade deadline and the Blues, if they are sellers at that point, which yeah. I think it's kind of trending that way. And it's not because they're playing bad. It's, it's just, just everyone around them is playing Everybody great. else is kind of pushing them lower in the Western Conference. But I, I, he mentioned they could probably get a premium haul for Pavel Buchnevich, and I think he's right. If the Blues decide, you know what, not sure if Buch is in our future, he's the guy that they're going to get the best return on, and he's the guy that I would like circle like right now. Of I, he is the most fascinating case to see, hear what the Blues decide to do with him once we get to that March trade deadline. Absolutely, and it's an opportunity to buy and sell at the same time. And again, we'll get into that a little bit later on in the twelve o'clock hour. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll get to your questions three one four three nine 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 six four six. Our Air Comfort Service text line, also our YouTube channel at one hundred one ESPN STL cameras, which are presented by Air Alliance Team. You send us questions, we'll answer them next year on one hundred one ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is our Air Comfort Service text line. You can also uh, send us a message on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Uh, we'll get to some of your questions. Chris Kerber is going to join us coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Let's go to this one from the 314. Can you guys explain this Amazon buying diamond sports to me like I'm five? After 2024, will they still be available cable or streaming only? I wish I could explain this to you. I've read like three articles since the news broke yesterday, and I'm still confused by this. Yeah, I, I'm i still waiting to have it explained to me like I'm five. Yeah. Um, Derek but, just put a piece out on the Post-Dispatch that I'm going to read uh, during a commercial break. But my understanding as of right now is there's still a lot up in the air, just that Amazon now has the rights to some teams for streaming purposes, but not the St. Louis Cardinals because Major League Baseball owns their streaming rights. My guess is that Major League Baseball is all most teams, if not all, are going to take their um, their RSNs back after 2024. Right. I think this deal just allows Amazon to operate into, or excuse me, allows for uh, Diamond Sports to operate for 2024, 2025 still up in the air. Look, once we know more, we'll pass it along and we'll yeah. try and break it down a little bit more but right now it's still kind of confusing to even us it, as to what's going on it's the starting stages of this all like they're they're in court discussing it because it's available and amazon's thinking moneymaker and that's where it's at right now i don't think anything's changing 2024 is bally sports midwest and then after that you're going to start to see people try and figure out what to do with it but like t-bone said as soon as we get a better explanation about it we can explain it but right now man it is just all so very confusing uh from the 636 guys the blue have a lot of top three or a lot of three round draft picks first three round draft picks in the upcoming drafts Doug may be able to restock the system if he decides to sell again are you intrigued at all about the available players in this year's draft funny that they ask this because I just pulled this up on uh, daily faceoff Steve Ellis who is another prospect guy uh, who evaluates them for daily faceoff I'm very intrigued by the defenseman, and Scott Wheeler told us last week that, like, if you want a number one defenseman, this is the draft to get him if you're in the top ten. I want you to just listen to this breakdown from Stephen Ellis of two different defensemen and tell me if you want this team to be in that position. 
Uh, a six foot seven blue liner who is averaging just under 20 minutes a night while blocking shots, landing hits, and showing off great skating for his size. From talking to scouts recently, they think he's the next Victor Hedman. Yeah, I'll take one of those. Guys please. in on that one? Yeah. Uh, another nice. one. This standout has fallen in the eyes of many, including myself. It's not due to lack of production, given he's been humming a point per game as a freshman, but he's a great triple threat as physical two-way defenseman and as competitive as it gets. It's a bit nitpicky because the strengths outweigh the weaknesses, but he won't last long on draft day. Physical two-way competes. Another one. He's mobile, has great speed, makes smart decisions with the puck. He's an all-around player who will be a workhorse in the NHL. Those are the three best defensemen available in this draft that they have ranked 6th, 7th, and 8th. So I like it. Look, I... I want this team to make the playoffs because I want something exciting to watch. I'd love to see them go on a run. But if you're in this murky middle to answer this texter's question, yeah, I think I might lean more towards seller because how often do you have this opportunity to see these players? And maybe these guys are bust. Maybe you don't get it. Maybe the draft is stacked like I think it is and you fall back. But I'll give myself an opportunity. They're in a odd spot because of what we just talked about with the Bucinavich scenario and that's yeah. what it's going to be interesting to watch as, the, as this moves along this season and get closer to the deadline because last year they were in a great spot to sell off where you had like three legitimate pieces you could trade in Ryan O'Reilly a top line centerman Vladimir Tarasenko a top six scorer and then Ivan Barbashev a perfect role player Swiss Army knife that was great for Vegas in the playoffs yeah this year, they don't really have great pieces to get a significant return to where they could end up with multiple first-round picks in, in this up, this year's upcoming draft. But they could do that by trading away a person with term, like Assad, a Buchnevich. And that's how and, you get more in return than what you got. Like, you got first-round picks. That's great what you got with O'Reilly and Barbashev and Tarasenko. But imagine what you could get in return for somebody who's got an extra year available to yeah. him. Yeah, and Booch is probably the guy. Like, I think there may be some interest in a saw. There may be some interest in a Hayes. But not the same as Not Booch. the same as Booch, where he's got just another year. The cap hit's not too bad for a team if they're looking to acquire him at the deadline. He's the one that would be the one that would get them the most return. And, hey, the Blues may say, hey, we still think Booch is a part of our future. Yeah. And if we're not getting what we want for a Sauter or a Hayes, or maybe they view them as a guy that's here for the rest of the contract, they may say, you know what, we've got our first-round pick, and it looks like we're trending towards a team that's going to be a top-10 selector. We don't need to make any other moves. We don't need to necessarily sell off a ton of pieces. They may just sell Marco Scandella and potentially like a captain who's a free yep. agent to be and call the deadline done. That may just be all they do. And I will say, Alex, like the Blues are kind of in the spot that we were terrified that they would be in right now, which is – They've become sort of like that Nashville Predators team that was right on the outside of the playoffs. Not bad, but not good enough to make the playoffs. Like in all likelihood, if you give me the most likely scenario for what happens to the Blues at the end of the season, they're probably in the last or second to last team that is right outside of the wild card picture, yeah. which is the worst possible place to be because you're not getting a great first round pick, but you're also not in the playoffs. So, I mean, that's like the worst possible place to be right now with all these defensemen coming in in the first round, likely going top 10. That's going to really suck if the Blues are outside of that and not in the playoffs. And what's so wild about it is, again, yeah, you're five points away from a playoff spot, but 
Uh, Calgary's won four in a row, seven of their last ten. Seattle's won eight of their last ten. Arizona has been a 500 team since. And Minnesota just won again. Edmonton's won 10, 11 in a row. Nashville's been about a 500 team. All those teams are ahead of you. You're five points away from a wild card spot, but you're also two points away from being a bottom six team in the NHL. And does that change over the next six weeks? Probably. But does it change for better or for worse for you compared to what everyone else is doing in the Western Conference? That's the bigger question. That's also the question we'll ask Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, who is going to join us next as he's got to hop on a plane to head to D.C. So Chris Kerber will join us next on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario as the Blues are back at it tomorrow night against the Washington Capitals on the road. First Community Credit Union pregame beginning at 5 o'clock with myself and Joe Vitale. Curbs and Joey F. Puck drop at 6 here on 101 ESPN. And the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, is with us now prior to hopping on that flight to D.C. Curbs, does it feel weird getting on a plane after two weeks at home? No, it feels nice. I mean, it feels... (laughs) It feels normal. It, it, it was. It was honestly. I think it was a great homestand. It, it needed to be a good homestand. That stretch from the middle of November right up to the week before Christmas was a. Not even just all because it was on the road, but even the time at home was short as the Blues didn't have more than a one game homestand, and they played a stretch of seventeen consecutive games in different buildings, which is phenomenal. I mean, that that, that really is quite a nugget. So, uh, nope, feels good. We'll go out to D.C. Uh, I, I think that the homestand was good for the Blues. I don't think it was great. It had a chance to be better. But the competition, and you look at everything in the right perspective, I think they did fine. And now you go uh, take on a team that's really in a very similar spot that the Blues are in, and you see if you can handle business on the road. And, Curtis, we'll get to see a new face in Washington tomorrow as uh, Bannister confirmed today that Cabinet is out week to week and that we will see Adam Gaudet, who was recently recalled today, play on the third line. What are you hoping to see from Adam Gaudet when he makes his debut tomorrow night? Well, you just, one, you just you want to see smart, consistent play. Obviously, being the leading scorer in the American Hockey League, he can you know he can put the puck in the net. He's got some NHL experience, so he's not coming in you know, to a situation that he doesn't know what expectations are going to be. But you need to just see good, responsible hockey. And when you do that, the the offense will come. So it looks as if he might play on that third line. Uh, So he'll get to, you know, won't be five, six minutes a game. Maybe he's getting, you know, 10, 12 minutes a game. And we'll see how that goes for him. But another opportunity for another guy that was in the minor leagues, and and you hope that he takes advantage of it because if he does, that's a that's a very positive thing, obviously, for the big club. Curves, one guy that has taken advantage of it is is Matt Kessel in the games that he's played when Justin Falk was injured and Falk came back and Kessel dropped on to play with Perunovic and still has not been on the ice for an even strength goal against. What did you make of Bannister going back to Krug and Kessel after the last couple of games of Falk and Krug? You know what, uh, I... I I was a little surprised, honestly, to see them kind of broken up initially. So I, I thought that I thought that Matt Kessel played pretty well there. Now, look, J- Justin Falk is Justin Falk, you know, and so you're going to work him back into the lineup, and you got to get him up to speed, and you also have to get him into some situations so he gets back used to him after being out for a couple of weeks. So 
I, I think that's really important. But there seems to be something pretty good about the righty-lefty matchup scenario through all three pairings, which is something the Blues haven't had much of, and and I like the look of it. But to your point, Alex, I mean, you you have to give Matt Kessel all the credit for that. He, You know, when we talk about a player coming up and trying to make an impact and, and wanting to make an impact, he did exactly what you're supposed to do. He got in the lineup. He's played very well. He's proven what Drew Bannister had been telling us about where he was with his game. Drew Bannister has done a good job of putting him in, in, in situations to make him successful as well. And Matt Kessel continues to earn that playing time. Now, look, fast forward a couple weeks down the road, what happens? At some point, you do have what Larry Plow used to call asset management. And whether it's because of Perunovic or a Tucker would have to clear waivers, eventually have to make a decision. We don't want to send a guy down, but we're going to because it helps us protect our depth for a little while longer. That could be a scenario. Or they say we can't afford to not do that, and that forces the hand to make another move. I don't know how that's going to shake out, but he continues to play well and do the job right now at this level, and that is all you can ask for from him. Well, and to that point, Curbs, I talked with Kessel, I guess it was last week before a game where it was Falk returning and just asked him, you know, playing with Krug and if you dip back down to Scott Perunovich, and he said, you know, I don't view this as a demotion or anything like that. He said, I view this as an opportunity to prove that I can play with anybody, and man, I think that mindset is as important, if not the most important for a player right now with this Blues team. Yeah, when you're a young player like he has, and you know you're basically approaching ten games in the National Hockey League, you're just happy that when you walk in that dressing room, you've got a you've got a sweater with your name on it. Yeah, you know, like in all seriousness, that's that's what matters the most there. So you know, from Matt Kessel's standpoint, his job is just to come in, do what he's supposed to do, play the game, and and play it well, and and then the rest takes care of itself, and that's what he's done. I mean, look, when you come in and you. They could have. They could have. They basically decided to scratch Marco Scandella for two games yeah. because of the way he was playing, and that is not a statement on Marco Scandella. That's more a statement on Matt Kessel. And honestly, where this team is, listen, how many times, whether it be baseball with the Cardinals, the Blues, whatever, whatever it is, they say, hey, you know, play the young guys, see what the young guys can do. This is one of those stretches, I think, where the Blues are also recognizing where they are, what they need to find out. This tells them a little bit more about next year and the year after, which is valuable information right now. And you're getting that without him costing you hockey games. That's a pretty good scenario right there for the St. Louis Blues. And Curbs, the other teams that we saw at practice today, Drew Bannister electing to break up that top line. And he broke it up a little bit in the last game where he moved Kapanen up to the top. But now he's going with Buchnevich, Thomas, and Neighbors on that first line again and moving Kyber down to the second line with Shen and Hayes. What do you make of him deciding to break up that top line going into tomorrow night's game? Well, the one thing that Drew Bannister Tanner has been trying to do is add some of that secondary balanced scoring. Now, what happened in the last game, and Joe Vitale mentioned this during the game, was you saw that that top line pass up opportunities to shoot the puck. And and instead, they tried to make that one extra pass, and then it got deflected, and and it went out. Look, the best line for the St. Louis Blues, without any shred of doubt, is Butchnevich, Thomas, and Cairo. But every now and then, you do try to find some balance. You make it a little bit harder. You know, now the Washington Capitals are going to have to try to figure out, okay, we don't have to key in on that one line because now Kyrou's on that second line. Jake Neighbors has earned opportunities up the lineup. He's had a terrific, terrific season. You know he's going to bring you a little bit more of that certainty, a little bit more of that puck grit, a little bit more of that get to the front of that and battle along the walls. 
than Jordan Cairo does. So he brings that element to the line. And if they can do that and then find some chemistry with with uh, with Cairo and Shen and Hayes, then then you really added some depth to your lineup there. So and then of course, you know, with Kapanen obviously being out, that's that's really what facilitates all this. And then it gives an opportunity for Gaudet, as we mentioned, to come in and see what he can do. Curb's final one, and we'll get you out of here on this because I know you got to hop on the jet to uh, head to D.C. But you mentioned 5-4-1, and one, and it's a good homestand. It was a good stretch for the Blues in this 10 games against tough opponents. Being that record, everyone else around you seems to have leapfrogged you and kind of kept you in the same spot. W- being five points out of a playoff spot and three points away from being a bottom six team in the, in the National Hockey League, what do you make of this next 10-game stretch and the importance for the Blues? Well, somewhat surviving this last 10-game stretch was critically important. But it shows you that playing one game over 500 isn't good enough in the National Hockey League. We really felt that to give themselves a really strong chance at the playoffs, you had to find your way to get to five, six games over 500, maybe seven before the break. They didn't do that. I think the next 10 games, to answer your question directly, Alex, really dictates the reality of where this team is going to be. And then it, it poses two questions. Yeah, if you're a player, I know that the group wants to claw and fight and believes that they can make the playoffs and go on a run. At some point, they've got to go on a run, and that's going to be the key. It's got to be a six- or seven-game win streak. It's got to be points in eight straight you, because you're playing decent hockey, but you're losing ground because teams are winning eight in a row, seven in a row. They're winning five of six. All right, And when a team ahead of you is winning five of six and you're winning you know, just one game over 500, that just doesn't quite get the job done. And then, then at some point, as, as you approach that March trade deadline, I believe it's March 8th, you know, as you get through that, you know, because remember, right after this next road trip, uh, road trip and stuff, you're going to have that long break for the All-Star break in the bye week, right? Those first 10 days in February. Come out of that, you got three weeks left. Then the Blues have to decide, what do we have? What do we look at for the future? And what do you do? And I, there's two ways of looking at it, guys. And this is blunt, and some like it, some don't. If you make the playoffs, it's great because you're going to get guys that have plenty of, you know, you're getting playoff experience for a Jake Neighbors, the Kessels of the world, you know, the young guys as well. And once you get in, you never know what could happen. And I believe the Blues have a goaltender that can be a serious difference maker. The other part of that is it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not the end of the world if the Blues end up with another top 10 draft pick with the potential of maybe even getting a high one if they were to get lucky and win a draft lottery. You saw the talent that they drafted last year. You've seen what happens. And I, I, I would encourage everybody to go back and look at the Boston Bruins and where they are now and where they were from 14 to 16, you know, just three years after their after winning the Stanley Cup. They missed the playoffs by two years, and then it was in that second draft that they ended up with the Trent Fredericks and the, and the Charlie McAvoy. So if we're talking four or five, six years down the road, or even playoffs, even after next year, maybe, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world to end up with a top 10 pick this year, even though I realize that some people don't like to hear that. Yeah. Well, we just talked about that too. Uh, Scott Wheeler, who covers prospects for the athletic was with us last week and said, like, if you want a number one defenseman, this is the year to get it in the top 10. So uh, an interesting position for the blues to be in after picking top 10 last year and getting that forward. That was Dalibor Dvorsky curves. Always appreciate the breakdown in time. My man, enjoy the flight to DC and we'll talk to you from the road tomorrow night with our first community. Community Credit Union pregame. You got it. Hey, Tanner, I love having you asking questions, buddy. (laughs) Thanks, Curbs. I appreciate it.
Hockey guy right. T-Bone. That's what, call him. That's what we call hey, him. That's what we call him. He's got to do it. He's got to join the conversation when when we're on it. I like his questions. Well, it's only BK. We we we, we say BK yeah, keeps him down. We get rid of Brandon and yeah, we get rid of Brandon and everybody thrives. Curbs always right, appreciate okay. it. See you guys. <laughs> there you go, Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, with them. Always appreciate him hopping on with us. Uh, what he said there at the end, we're going to get into in fifteen minutes because I, I do feel like the next ten games are going to be impactful. And even if the Blues go on a plus 500 record, I'm not sure it does anything for them because of the other teams around. And we'll explain in 15, but coming up next, more likely to happen, 314-399-9646. We'll give you a scenario. You give us a scenario, and we'll tell you which one's more likely to happen next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Likely to happen here on 101 ESPN, BK and Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Full disclosure, I've already taken off one layer of clothing because I think the air's broken here and it is hot, which is a good thing if you're outside right now and a worker. I'm you're, not complaining. You whine a lot. I do, but I'm just letting people know full context. It might be a me, skin type you, of show the let final me tell hour. You how many people cared on you? No, nobody. Nobody it's the does. the same shape as this. It's a zero. 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 I'd actually I care because I'm in the yeah, same boat right sweating now. Too. You are too. You're just trying to be the tough guy here. Really bad day to not uh, wear a shirt. I'm losing weight right now. That's what I'd say. <laughs> All I'm saying is if I get down to skins, it's not on me. It's on the air conditioning. So just don't be upset with that one. More likely to happen, fellas. Send us the 314-399-9646. We'll tell you which one is more likely to happen here on 101 ESPN. More likely to happen, the Blues sell off Pavel Buchnevich or one of their top defensemen, or the Cardinals sell off Goldie or Arenado by the trade deadline this year. I think this one is easy for me. Um, oh, sure it is. It's the Blues sell-off. I, I, it. Look, I, I'm i very critical of the Cardinals. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that they're a 100-win team. I think they're like an 85-91 to 91 well, team I and can, can win the not. division. But the thing for me is the Reds, the Cubs, they're, they're all right in that same boat. So even if the Cardinals are just like 500 at the deadline, they're not going to sell off a Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arnold because they're still in it probably. For the Blues, I mean, we're going to talk about it here in 15 minutes, and Carver's mentioned it, like, this next 10-game stretch basically probably determines if they're sellers or buyers. Well, mostly just sellers are not doing anything, I guess is what I, I should say. Um, and I I don't I don't see them being able to change Doug Armstrong's mind because I think it's already determined that he's a seller. I don't know if he's determined if Booch is going to be a part of that sell-off or not. But I just don't see the Cardinals being sellers, so I think it's easy. I think it's Buchnevich's dealt. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's the Blues. We've seen how aggressive Doug Armstrong would like to be. Uh, we saw what he tried to do with Tory Krug over this past offseason, fell through. But regardless, the desire was there to be aggressive with selling off pieces. And if the Blues are in a similar spot this year where they're not trending towards the playoffs and everybody else is still building around them, then yeah, I think it's going to be the Blues that's more likely to sell. It's so weird, too, because... A lot of people view Pavel Buchnevich, and rightfully so. I mean, he's been an incredible player, but uh, we got a text when we were talking about it earlier saying, you idiot, you don't trade your best goal scorer. Is he your best goal scorer right now? 
and I'm genuinely asking that question. I'm not being facetious or, or sarcastic. He's got one goal in his last 10 games, and it's an empty net goal. And sure, he could be snake bitten all you want, but Booch has been sporadic this year. And I said, are you willing to go to the eight and a half plus? That's because the thing. It's more than eight million, especially with the cap going up. You don't think other teams realize the cap is going up? Are you willing to go there with that guy? And, and I said that so negatively, that guy. Are you willing to go there with somebody who's inconsistent? When your team needs consistency right now. So, yeah, I think it's more likely the Blues in that scenario because I don't know if you pull it off in season. I don't know if you pull it off in the offseason because of the. And then Booch doesn't have a. Does he? I think he has a modified no trade. I but think you're right. The no trades, the big cap, like the, those, those are impactful. But I also think because the Western Conference is so muddied that they're going to be less teams selling, which makes the Blues a little bit more enticing. Here's, so. the, here's the thing, too. His contract's up in two seasons, and the Blues likely aren't going to be competing for a Stanley Cup in that time range. So either you re-sign him or you need to move him yeah. and get something in return. Because if you don't sign him, I mean, if you do, you're going to have eight eight and a half million dollars on the books if you don't have to re-sign him and you don't have that then you can use that money elsewhere and maybe go out and get a top defenseman that we've been talking about the blues really needing lately tebow what do you got guys more likely to happen the cardinals have a top 10 bullpen in baseball or a top 10 rotation in baseball <laughs> bullpen there's no way their, t- their rotation is top 10 you'll have one guy who is good maybe great other than that uh regression Maybe they trade for C's. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Well, I know they're going to get what's, a starter. What's the, the what's the mindset from the front office? Is it Bill DeWitt's mindset or John Mozeliak's mindset? Because then I'll tell you if that's going to happen or I not. I wish I could tell you the yeah. message is confusing. Yeah, very confusing. Uh, I, I Regression for Miles Michaelis, regression for Lynn, regression for Kyle Gibson, and I don't know with Steven Matz or Zach Thompson. So it's bullpen. I think your bullpen could actually be what they're hoping it can be. Question on that is going to be how much are you using it and what's the health status towards the end of the year? Yeah, and I agree too. I think also it's easier to add pieces to the bullpen if needed rather than the rotation. So if they are going to add another piece, it's going to be to the bullpen, not to the rotation. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think it's more likely that it's the bullpen. I, and I look, I, if I'm being honest, I'm skeptical if both will be top 10, if any one of those will be top 10. I mean, the easiest answer is the offense is probably going to be top 10, but not the pitching. I, uh, The bullpen, they've got upside. They, they've got some upside in the pen. And like you said, Grant, they can add another arm, whether it be now in the offseason still. It sounds like they still want to add somebody to the pen. Or they can go get somebody at the deadline that would help them out. For the rotation, it's just hard to figure out what the path is to get there. You know, like Sonny Gray, he, you expect him to be good. Miles Michaelis, if he has a bounce back year, okay, now we're talking. You got kind of a one-two punch. I still would view Michaelis as a three. It's tough to like even project that Matt's is going to pitch well. He didn't once he got back in the rotation, but can he do that and stay healthy for a full season? And then Gibson's been below league average for most of his career. And then Lance Lynn, like even if he cuts down on the home runs, I just don't know if he can be a guy that can really prop up the rotation and by the numbers. So I definitely think it is more likely the bullpen. Grant. All right. This is not exclusive to this season, particularly, but more likely to happen. The blues look into trading Jordan Kyrie or Jordan Bennington at some point. Ooh. I mean, I, I guess if you're the blues, you look into both. Um, my gut would say you look into trading Cairo is more likely because I don't know if you look into trading Jordan Bennington until you're ready to start winning. And I know that sounds weird for me to say because 
when you're winning, you want him. I mean, me personally, uh, you know me, I'm the biggest Bennington advocate. He's not going anywhere until his contract is done because he gives you the best chance to win every single game. He's a gamer. Um, But if the car, if the blues were in that mindset that said like, okay, we're in that winning window. Bennington has regressed because of age and Joel Hofer's ready to be the number one. Welcome to cap flexibility that we just talked about. That's $6 million that you could get a haul with because other teams need that type of goaltender. Um, I, I would say it's more likely it's Cairo because that modified modified or that no trade kicks in after next season. And if you've gone three full years of him being a top line guy and saying, man, he's just not the player we thought he was, you'd be more likely to look into that than Bennington. Yeah, I would say more likely Cairo. I, I don't think either is going to happen if I'm being honest, but I would say Cairo in this chance in this situation, because I think with Bennington, you know what you have. And look, I still think you can question if he's a regular season goalie. This year he's played really well. There's no denying that. But you know he takes his game to the next level when he gets to the playoffs. So I think you hold on to him. And goalie's such a tough position because look at all the other teams across the NHL. A lot of them are looking for goaltenders. So you've got a guy that you know at least is average at, at worst in the regular season but takes his game to the next level in the playoffs. From the Jordan Cairo perspective, I, I think Alex is right. It's still kind of unknown like if he can get to the next level. And I think defensively he's improved. Right now he's played pretty well, I think, for the most part this year. He's been really good under uh, since Bannister took over as the interim coach. But he hasn't still taken that next step that I think the Blues were expecting. So I could see a route where they said, you know what, maybe he just never gets there. Let's see if we can sell him before the no trade kicks in. I don't think that's going to happen, but in this scenario, I think that's more likely. Yeah, and I'm with you guys. I think it's more likely that Jordan Kyrou is, and I don't know how likely it is that either of them would happen either, but the reason why I bring up Bennington is just because you know, obviously he's been spectacular this season with how he's played so far, but do you believe that you're going to be in contention again under Bennington? And by the time you do get there, Jordan Bennington's going to be what? 33, 34. Mm-hmm. So where do you think he's going to be at, at that point? So it, it's like a, when the blues are ready, where will Jordan Bennington be? And you're basically selling high. If you look to trade Jordan Bennington right now, it's, and on top of that, you have teams like Toronto and Edmonton that are pretty much set. They just need goaltending and they would probably pay King's ransom for it right now. And they just don't have it. So it's an interesting conversation, but I do think it would be Jordan Cairo. Yeah. Uh, let's get to a couple of these on the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. More likely Cowboys fire McCarthy or he's coaching the, the, the team next year. Uh, it's more likely that they're keeping McCarthy and he's going to be coaching next year. I mean, I know how Jerry Jones works and he's going to be like, no, nah, we're going to back this guy because he's the guy that can get us there. I mean, look how long they stuck with Jason Garrett. And I mean, yeah, this coaching crop is great, but... I'm not sure Jerry Jones is going to be willing to walk away from Mike McCarthy. So I think they're just going to stick with him and keep it going. I think you're right. And I think it's the wrong decision. Oh, I agree. Um, it's a terrible decision. Because I think if they're going to fire me, he'd already be fired. Like, I don't know what they're waiting for. Like, what what do they benefit by waiting? Because all the top candidates, outside Vrabel, Vrabel we've not heard much on yet. I don't even know if he's interviewed for a job yet. Um, Belichick is interviewed with the Falcons, and it sounds like the Falcons are ready to go big fish hunting for their next head coach. Harbaugh is interviewed with the Chargers and the Falcons already. So that's two of the top three candidates at this coaching cycle. What are they waiting for? Because those names are going to come off the board pretty quickly. I expect those names to come off the board before the Super Bowl. So why 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 would you wait? I, I think if they were going to fire McCarthy, it would have already happened. So I think it's more likely he's coaching them next year. God, I still think they're going to fire him though. They've got to make some sort of change after the the postseasons that they've had. They like they're at that point where 
it's been multiple years under McCarthy where the same sort of thing is happening every single season. And are you going to make a change at quarterback? Probably not. Where, where's the change going to be? Yeah. And if you just run it back, like, I don't know. That's insane. That's literally the definition of insanity. <laughs> the, the thing about it is, I think if you were going to move on from him, you'd have fired him by now. I get that. Because you yeah. would have started having conversations with other coaches, and I'm not sure. Unless that Jerry Jones is having those secret meetings with people, and like they realize it's going to happen, but they got to do their due diligence with other teams. I think you would have done it by now and started looking. And the fact that you haven't tells me that Mike McCarthy is going to be back uh, next season, which, again, is not the right move. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, Kerbs talked about how the Western Conference is kind of pushing the Blues into a pivotal decision. The next 21 games leading up to the March 8th trade deadline is not an easy task for the Blues. Frankly, it's just as difficult as what they just accomplished but does it not matter because of the other teams around them? We'll discuss that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, somewhat surviving this last 10 game stretch was critically important, but it shows you that playing one game over 500 isn't good enough in the National Hockey League. We really felt that to give themselves a really strong chance at the playoffs, you had to find your way to get to five, six games over 500, maybe seven before the break. They didn't do that. I think the next 10 games, to answer your question directly, Alex, really dictates the reality of where this team is going to be. And then it, it poses two questions. Yeah, if you're a player, I know that the group wants to claw and fight and believes that they can make the playoffs and go on a run. At some point, they've got to go on a run. And that's going to be the key. It's got to be a six or seven game win streak. It's got to be points in eight straight. That's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, who was with us a little earlier this hour talking about the Blues' next group of games leading into the March 8th trade deadline. And if you missed any of that, you could check it out after the show today up on our podcast page, 101ESPN.com, which is presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And Kerbs is absolutely correct. You just went 5-4-1 and one in a 10-game stretch that we talked a couple of weeks ago, T-Bone, that this is pivotal in terms of where the Blues want to be. And look, 5-4-1 and one against five first-place teams, all 10 of them were playoff-contending teams. And going 5-4-1 and one is a position that you look at and you say, damn, that was a good stretch by the Blues. But that's if you've already padded your lead. You didn't. You were already a middling team, and you had a middling record, 500 record, and you stayed in that same spot. Actually, you dipped a little bit because going into that stretch, you were sitting in like fifth place, a few points out of a playoff spot. Now you're still a few points out. But you're five points behind Edmonton and Nashville. And while you win 5-4-1, and one, Edmonton went 11 in a row. 10 in a row if you want to go the 10-game stretch. Nashville went 5-4-1, and one, so just kind of stayed middling. But remember, they went on their win streak earlier this year. Calgary's won seven of their last 10. Seattle won eight of their last 10. And you and Arizona were a 500 team. It's not good enough. And I just looked at this uh, after Curbs had said this because I was curious what the Blues' rest of the schedule is. And, you know, we always break it up into 10-game increments. Uh, they get 21 games before the March 8th trade deadline. So in 10-game increments, and I, I measured these as playoff teams out of the playoffs and fringe teams. And by fringe teams, as it stands today, you're three points or less from being a playoff team. The next 10 games that you play, there's only one team that's considered out of the playoffs. 
six of those 10 are against fringe teams, which I'd argue are tougher than the playoff teams because they have something to fight for like you do. You take on two playoff teams. The next 10 game stretch, you take on seven playoff teams, two fringe teams, and one team that's out of the playoffs. And then the last game that you play before the deadline is against the New Jersey Devils. This is not an easy task. So you just thought 5-4-1 and one was good. If you want to be in a position that you could realistically talk about, you know what, maybe you need to add something or stand pat, let's see what happens with it. You're going to have to go 6-4, and 7-3. and three. You're going to have to pick up massive points to be in that conversation. And it's not because what you did wasn't impressive. It's because Edmonton, Nashville, Calgary, Seattle are all teams that continue to win which means the wild card that you're hoping for is going to be held by four other teams. Yeah, and we've been talking about, I feel like the Blues needed a winning streak probably since like the first 10 games of the year because you're right. I mean, you look at Nashville, you look at Calgary, Seattle now who's gotten hot. They all have had at least a spurt where they go on a little bit of a run, pad up some points, and it allows them to kind of either stick right around this wild card picture or at least give them a little bit of padding, like you said, for the Predators to where they can have a 5-4-1 stretch and still be looking at the playoff picture right now at 49 points. For the Blues, it's just been a constant win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. Maybe you win like two in a row, but I don't think they've won three in a row all season long, if I'm not mistaken. No, they haven't. So I, they need to go on a run. And what you just mentioned in their next 10 games – where you said it was what six fringe playoff teams? six fringe teams two play or three playoff teams and one team that's considered out of it. That's where the run has to happen because what Curb said in our return from our uh, for our open there of the next ten games is pretty crucial for this team. You once you, this ten game stretch will tell you whether or not they are kind of looking at becoming a real seller at the trade deadline because that stretch though yes fringe playoff teams are pretty good hockey teams they're also inconsistent just like you. And can the Blues find a way to play some consistent hockey? And that's been the thing they just have not been able to do this year. There are games where you look at it and you go, man, that was an excellent three periods that they played. And then there's games like the other night where they lose to the Flyers, and you're like, damn, they didn't play really the first two periods of that right. game. So if they're going to remain in the playoff picture, and look, five points out right now, you're still in it. They're, I'm not trying to tell you they're completely out well, of it. Of course not. But as you look, and as you mentioned, a lot of these teams are starting to play really well in the last ten games. If the Blues can't find a way to go on – a little bit of run, getting points in six of the next... I would say they need points probably in seven of the next ten games. Uh, yeah. And if they can't do that, then they're probably going to still be sitting here at the bottom. And it's not just that you're sitting at the bottom, five points out now. It's got to leapfrog yeah. a whole bunch of other teams as well. And, and that's when it starts to be get become a little bit harder as you approach the deadline. And see, that's the part for me that's going to be difficult. Like, let's say you go 1-1-1 one, one, and one in your next three games. I mean, that's three out of six points. That's not bad. You go 1-1-1 one, one, and one and pick up three points... Edmonton goes up three and zero. Calgary goes two and one, and now you've gained what one point in terms of ground, which means you've lost ground. So you can go two and one over your next three games. You can go four and two over your next six. But if these other teams continue to pick up points and pick up wins, it's not doing you any justice. And that's why this is so hard. Edmonton's in the middle of a 10-game win or 11-game win streak. Seattle just had a 9-game win streak. Nashville went on a win streak, I think at best was about 7 or 8. Calgary's on a 4-game win streak. You haven't gone on anything above 2. You still have not surpassed the 4 games above 500 mark this season. Every time you've tried, it's been a loss. So yeah, you're to your point of winning 7 out of 10, not only do you have to win 7 out of 10, you need help. You need like to win six in a row, and you need some teams to lose. That's the hard part, and that's why what I I believe Doug Armstrong so good at his job is 
he sees the picture already. If you don't think he's in the front office talking about, you know what, we're probably going to have to sell off, and who do we sell off? You're sadly mistaken. Sure, you won playoffs, but let's be realistic. You were a couple of points out of a playoff spot when you traded Paul Stastny. Doug's not going to sit here and say, well, we're almost there, guys, so let's just let it go. No, what he's going to do is say, we're a fringe team against team. Like, you really think, and look, Jordan Bennington changes everything. Jordan Bennington can rob a playoff series, which is why I want them to make the playoffs. But you think the Blues are going to pull out a victory against the way Edmonton's playing right now? Against Nashville, if they were to match up? I mean, in all reality, you're facing Vancouver, Winnipeg, or Colorado if they get to one of those top spots. Sure, you beat Colorado once and we're close. Sure, you beat Vancouver once. You haven't beaten Winnipeg. Uh, you play Edmonton twice. This is the bigger picture thing that you you have to look at with the Western Conference and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, and like you said, with Edmonton on the 11-game win streak right now, it's just tough. And you look back at the games that the Blues have dropped this season, and that's what's killed them. You look at the Columbus, San Jose, Chicago, Minnesota, Detroit. Like It's 10 points. You'd have 10 54. points right there. Even if you win three of those games, you're sitting at 50 points, and you're in the first wildcard spot in the Western Conference right now. And going 5-4-1 and one in a 10-game stretch is good because you're just exactly. standing pat. But that's not good enough because of those games that you've lost already this season. And I think the even just if you isolate the next five games, I think we're going to learn a lot about this team because you've got Washington twice, who is basically in the same spot as as the Blues are right now. And then Calgary and Seattle are going to be two huge games because those are two teams you're battling right now. Calgary has three more points than the Blues. So does Seattle. And then you have Vancouver, who's obviously we know Vancouver's a really good team. So, And then the L.A. Kings to, to extend it to six games. Right. I mean, those are right. all tough opponents that you're taking on. Yeah. I mean, over the next five games, I think the Blues need to win four of those. Yeah. If, if they want to get their way back into this, they need to win four of the next five. And I find this text from the 573 interesting. They say, guys, if they go on a winning streak, it, then you're falling for false advertisement and you don't want to fall for that. I, I think what we're trying to say here is that the next 10 games, look, Doug Armstrong, I think you're right, Alex. I think he's probably already determined they're sellers. I think the next 10 games can potentially determine to what extent they are sellers. Because yeah. I, I think more best case scenario, like they say they win, let's just say they win 10 in a row, because that is the best case scenario. That is best case scenario, T. And that's Stanley they, Cup talk. They probably hold on to their pieces. Yeah, you they, don't they, touch anything. They, they may not move, they may move a Skindell because he's not even in the lineup right now, but they may hold on to a captain, but it looks like he's out till past the All Star break. Yeah. They just kind of hold on to the pieces and see what happens and say, you know what, we wanted to be a playoff team. This team's done enough to where we won't just kind of pick some of it apart. So let's just stick with what yeah, we have. because you owe it to a team that wins 10 in a row to go out and actually make an opportunity and, to go to a and, playoffs. And maybe they do, like, small buying. And what I mean by that is maybe there's, like, a Ford out there that's got some term that's, like, got another Somebody year off of deal. waivers. And they say, hey, you know what, maybe that guy will slot into our, like, third line. And maybe he can be that for us in the future as well. So maybe they do some small addition as well. I don't think they're going to ever be doing any kind of big buy this this deadline unless it is like a Hannafin, a Chikrin, someone that they can bring in, sign in an extension, and they're paired with Pareko for the long term. But I, I think what they can what the worst case scenario is that we're telling you is okay if they really struggle and they start to fall more out, then it becomes more likely that they are trading off some of their pieces and they become I don't know if they're there, but they become more open to the idea of you know what maybe Booch isn't a part of the future. Maybe we do explore that trade at this deadline, rather than, okay, maybe we wait till the offseason, or, hey, you know what, he is part of the future, we're not touching him. Yeah, you get slapped in the face of reality if that happens. Like, you look at it and you say, is he really worth $8 million? And if he's not, well, then you trade him. Is this guy really worth $6.5 million? No? Okay, well, then we need to make moves. And the part that I just strongly disagree with that 573 text 
It's not false advertisement. Because if you go on a 10-game win streak, you're in the playoff conversation. And look, as much as I'm talking about getting a top five, top six pick and how great it would be for the team, there is nothing more valuable to a team than playoff experience. There's nothing more valuable for... The Blues don't win the Stanley Cup unless they realize what it feels like to get bounced by Chicago so many times and then realize what it feels like to lose in a Western Conference Final. You don't... You don't get that experience by just missing the playoffs and saying, well, we'll be better next year. So you go on a 10-game win streak. That's not false advertisement. That's, okay, this team has the makings of doing something. Let's see if they can get to the playoffs. Because if they do, great. Even if you lose in four games, that's building something. I personally think you have a chance to win because of Jordan Bennington. But it's not false advertisement. But on the flip of this, if you're a 500 team over the next 10 games and then uh, three games above 500 over the next 10 games... You're not making any ground. You're you're doing the same thing, which it's a disservice to the organization's future if you sit there and say, "Well, we'll see what happens," because then you're not you're not building anything for the future. You're just missing the playoffs, and you're not getting a good asset, and you're keeping holding things that you're Kinda saying, stuck. "Yeah, you're stuck. You're middling. You're doing the same thing." Insanity, like you just talked about with the Cowboys, Grant. So the ten game, twenty game, however you want to label it. That stretch is impactful for what Doug Armstrong wants to do and if he follows through with what he believes he wants to do moving forward. Yeah, and not only just that, aside from a a hypothetical 10-game win streak, if you just look at the last nine games and... I know we've said that the 5-4-1 isn't good enough, but that's because of the, the, the spot this team has put themselves in previously. You just beat the Canucks, the Hurricanes, the Rangers. You got a point against the Bruins, and the second point was earned in a way that really wasn't in the control of the Blues because it was a missed call. So you you had all these really good games against tough opponents. That's, I, I don't want to say just as impressive to me as a 10-game win streak, but th- those are good signs. It's not like they've been winning games that they should have lost, and then if they go on a 10-game win streak, it's just, well, well, they, they're, they're, have, they're getting lucky. It's, it, this is different than the seven-game win streak they went on last year. Yeah. Grant Francis, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll come back with the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. All right, guys, so I got something I uh, need to get off of my chest. Oh, boy. It's not just the junk drawer. I guess it's the segment that's called Alex is Miserable and Everybody Knows It. Alex went grocery shopping. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the recap. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. How, how'd you guys know? When I have junk drawer stories, you know I grocery shopped the other day. And this isn't even just a grocery shopping. It happened to me at the grocery store, but it's a restaurant. Are there things when somebody says something to you that just pisses you off? Like pet yeah. peeves? Like names? Like, hey, buddy. Buddy? Thanks, buddy. Yeah. So... So yeah, I ha- it, make, it makes me angry. Oh, it's a writer thing. Yeah, well, writer says a lot of things that make me angry too. Uh, so, so it happens. So, story: a grocery store checking out. Put, gave the lady my card. She swiped it and handed it back to me. And she goes, "Here you go, Alexander." What? My name's not Alexander. The card says Alex, and I don't know why it pissed me off, but it did. Like internally, I'm like. Bleep you. My name's not Alexander. It's Alex. Now, I could have said something. 
But I feel like that's more rude than just be me internalizing my anger towards this individual. Like, well, I'm not Alexander, I'm Alex. But when I'm at restaurants, nothing pisses me off more than when the waiter or waitress calls you hun. Mm, I can see that. I hate the name hun. I'm not five. You don't need to baby talk me. Just give me my food. And treat me like an adult. What about sweetheart? Sweetheart pisses me off too. Oh, see, I don't mind that. It's, it's Southern hospitality. It's not Southern hospitality. We're in St. Louis. I'm at a Waffle House. You don't need to call me Hun when you lay my waffle down. I Just put it down. Good. Here you go. If you got any issues, give me a call. I Thank you no so much. With, I have no problem with that one. Now the Al- calling you Alexander. It was weird, right? Yeah, I don't know if I would have said anything, but it's oh, I, odd. I, I couldn't have said anything. I, like, I, why? Why would you assume Alex is short for Alexander? I, I internalized my anger with my two-year-old because I'm just like, I don't like how she called me Alexander Adelaide. Yeah, Daddy. I'm like, yeah. Hype man, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm a little surprised by that one because I would just assume it was that just if you weird. Saw... Like I understand people have short names for long yeah. names, and sometimes you just shorten it. But if somebody shortens their name, they want to be called they want to be that called name. that. So great example when we had Daniel Kachuk on a couple of weeks ago, I texted him and I called him Daniel, and he texted me back and he said, "Please call me Dan." Cool. I was like, "Oh God, I hope I didn't offend him." But he wants to be called Dan. I'll call him Dan. My card says Alex. Why would you call me Alexander? Well, why why even look in the first place, to be honest? Like, why are you looking for my name? Like, maybe they're just trying to be nice and, like, yeah, hey, personal. Yeah, personal yeah, I mean, I go to the same grocery store, and I always bring my girls with me so they know it's me. And maybe they were just trying to personalize it, which was fine. And she didn't say it rude or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just like, here you go, Alexander. But, like, internally, I'm like, bleep you. Is it Alexander? It says Alex on the damn card. But I felt like it was more rude to say something than not say something. I'm going to start calling you Alexander. Uh, the the text like, line's yeah. doing it right now, and I knew I was going to get into it, but joke's on you. I don't read the text message. Uh, but uh, Clearly saw that one. Yeah, I know. Hun, sweet. Are there any other names that piss you guys off? People call me Francis all the time, thinking that that's my first name. Last, it doesn't really piss me off. But... Do they do the lighten up Francis joke? Sometimes uh, that doesn't yeah. happen that often, but it has. Well, happened. you don't know what this is from. I almost guarantee you that. Uh, no, but I've heard it. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of anything that like really gets under my skin. I'm sure there is some things that bother me. Like I just can't think of them right now. To like in the moment, it would make me upset. The only one that I know of is just thanks, buddy. Like I, I feel I don't know why, but that one always gets under my skin. Here's something that does bother me. This isn't like. This is just something that, that bothers me at my other job. But when I'm when I'm working at my other job and I'm answering the phone, I work at a pizza place. And uh, people, you call people hun too, you jerk? No, no. People call in and then they're having conversations with everybody about what they want. Meanwhile, I'm on the phone for seven minutes and I have tables that I'm waiting on. And it's like, come on, have the game plan ready. You know? Oh, yeah. That, is, that I, one that, is tough. That ticks me off with my wife when we drive. When she's like, let's get this. I'm like, okay, cool. We'll drive up to the drive-thru. You know what the place has. Like, when you go yes. to Steak and Shake, you know what they've got. And I'll stand there and I'll go, what do you want? Uh, like, are like, you serious right now? There are right some now? people having arguments while I'm just sitting there on the phone waiting to what, hear what they want and take their order. That's and they're when, arguing about it. That's when it. you hang up and say, you call me back when you're ready to order. They it, won't call back. That, that one is frustrating, especially if it's like a place that you know you've been to before. Like if it's a new restaurant that you've never been to before, like you're out of town. Uh, like, for example, we, we went to the draft this past year in Nashville. We had uh, we stopped at a sports bar for dinner or lunch one day after our show. Like we'd never been there before. So it makes sense if we need time to look for order. If you're going to like a pizza place that you've been to multiple times, there should be no discussion. The, the order's got to be ready. So there was someone, this happened yesterday, actually, super sweet lady, but she calls, she, she's called before, and she always 
asks what we have on our menu. Like, what kind of pastas do you have? And it's like, oh, here we go again. White or red? Next question. I, I sent a menu <laughs> with her order yesterday. Uh, jerk. Passive aggressive no, no, no. jerk oh, move. That, that was. Passive no, no, aggressive that was. jerk move. Yeah. It wasn't, it yeah, wasn't yeah, to no be a jerk. That move. It really wasn't to be a jerk. <laughs> no. I told her on the phone, I was like, I'll actually put a menu with your order. That way no. you have it for reference. That, that, was, so, that was such that a passive aggressive move. It was passive aggressive and you didn't even realize <laughs> that it. That was an Alex Ferrario move, man. It, it was me genuinely <laughs> trying to be helpful. It might have come off as passive aggressive, but I mean. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of texts that say Alexander needs to be in therapy. I am in therapy, alright? And it doesn't help. I have a anger problems and you just move on past it like i said i wasn't angry i didn't go home pissed off i was just like how would you well, it had to be brought up today well, clearly you know what it's content the way i always look that's why i keep going back to the grocery store content every single time i go tanner hendrickson grand francis i'm alexander ferrario coming up next t-bone saw the zips projection for the texas rangers and got him questioning cardinals in the same situation as texas going into this season we'll discuss next on 101 espm BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, apparently I'm Alexander Ferrario. That's what people are going to be calling me from now on, thanks to that junk drawer segment. Uh, it is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So T-Bone saw the zips, and as we all know, zip season makes us that much more excited for baseball season. But the zips projection were out with the New or the uh, New York Rangers, the Texas Rangers. Of course, the Texas Rangers being the, the World Series team that everybody's talking about. You look at that and you say, okay, how do the Cardinals stack up against them. You look at offense, very similar. You look at pitching, not that similar. But it's not the pitching that they have available to them now. That's the difference, T-Bone. It's the pitching that's available to them this season. And elaborate on that. Yeah, so when I saw the Zips projections come out for the Texas Rangers, I was naturally curious because we've looked at the Cardinals one already. We've talked about it. But when I think of the Texas Rangers, I think of a team that, as you mentioned, got to the World Series last year. In fact, won the World Series last year. And a team that is going to be viewed as one of the favorites to get back to it and potentially repeat. And I look today, they have the third best odds, according to Vegas, to make it to the World Series. So I was like, okay, how do the Rangers stack up with the St. Louis Cardinals? And I looked, and offensively, they are projected. And again, take what you will with projections. I think they can tell you a story about what could happen in the season. They project the Texas Rangers offense to be worth 253 uh, war or WRC uh, war for the season. Yeah, I was like, okay, and like I'm looking at this and I go, you know, low, young. I like those guys. Those guys are good, but they're not as good as Goldie and Arnado. I look at the outfield. Okay, they're all projected for like a two, three war. So I was like, okay, how does that stack up with the Cardinals and what their projection showed? St. Louis Cardinals projection twenty five point three war offensively. The exact same. The exact same. Different different scenario in terms of how. They're kind of built like the Rangers are built more up the middle with Seager and Simeon. All the Cardinals are built on the corners with Arnado and Goldie. So I was like, okay, well then the offense stacks up with the Rangers. And we love the Rangers offense last year, especially in that World Series run with Adolis Garcia. I know Cardinals fans were really in tune to that. And then Why? I look at the bull. Well, you know, <laughs> it kind of got away from oh, us. Another one. And then I look at the bullpens, and they project the Cardinals bullpens to be better than the Rangers. And I look at the rotations, and they project that the Rangers rotation is kind of similar to the St. Louis Cardinals. And you look at the Rangers rotation right now; it's Evaldi, John Gray, Dane Dunning, Andrew Heaney, and I'm just going to be honest. I think Jordan Montgomery's going to be back in Texas. Yeah. 
And I look at that and I go, okay, of all those five names I just said, that's like the Cardinals rotation. And, you know, we look at the Cardinals yeah. 85 91 I would team. actually probably take the Cardinals rotation over that rotation. Yeah, I, definitely an argument to be had on, on, yeah. on those right now. But where's the difference between the Rangers and the Cardinals? It's the upside that's in the rotation, man. And it's not just in the upside in the rotation of what they have, like those five names that I just listed. You know who I didn't say that's going to be returning for the Rangers at some point this year? Yeah, their best three pitchers. Max Scherzer, uh, Jacob deGrom, and Tyler Malley, who's returning from Tommy John surgery as yeah. well. They've got upside baked yeah, in the rotation, one, man. Two and three when they return. Exactly, and like even if you just said forget those names, look at Nathan Ovaldi. The dude has got some serious upside because he's basically like a swingman, uh-huh. typically in season at best, like a number three starter. But he has upside. You saw him shove in the postseason, and it's not the first time that he did that this past year. And that's what the biggest difference between the Rangers and Cardinals. And I know they're in different uh, Cardinals in the NL, Rangers in the AL, but offensively they are built the same way. The problem for the Cardinals, and we've talked about this all offseason long, is where's the upside in the rotation? Because for the Rangers, they've got it. And that's why, though it is risky with how they've built their bullpen, and it's fair to question the rotation and how it's kind of banged up and dealing with injuries. And even those, even Evaldi's dealt with injuries in the past. Gray dealt with an injury last year. There's upside in it to where, like, you can look at it and go, holy crap, if Jacob DeGrom comes back healthy, if Max Scherzer is healthy, if Tyler Mowley returns to form when he comes back. That's a legitimate rotation. And you look at the Cardinals, and it was kind of zigging while everybody else zags by just saying, we're not looking for upside, we're looking for consistent innings pitched. Yeah, well, and they're looking to shorten games, as John Mosaic has talked about with the bullpen. And like I would look at the Cardinals' bullpen and say, man, that's a good bullpen to have. Uh, and I think they could actually be a difference maker. And if they add another addition, maybe that makes it even that much more dominant. But you look at any team going into the season that's considered a playoff contender, They've got a one-two punch, and that's the difference in this. Like, yeah, Texas, you look at it and you say, well, I don't understand why people are getting excited about that. They're getting excited about that because come playoff time, they're going to have Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom because they realize that, hey, regular season-wise, we can keep our head above water, and when we know these guys are healthy, they're coming back. The difference in why we've been uh, so repetitive in the sense of the Cardinals trading for Dylan Cease, trading for one of the Seattle Mariners pitchers, or Jesus Lazardo, or finding that number one guy is because I'm not sure you can get through the season with this rotation. Like, Texas, you know that they can find a way through it because their offense can guide them, and then when they get at least one of those guys back, and the Cardinals in the Zips projection looking at that pitching staff, you really ask yourself the question, can the bullpen be that much of a difference maker? Yeah, and I, I think when you look at the Cardinals rotation, I think they can get through the season. My concern is how how efficient are they going to be getting yeah. through Are the you getting season? through the season where you're a middling team in the NL Central that you hope finally just you know strikes gold, or are you a team that's going to run away because, with it? Because there's not any upside to the rotation. Like who is the best? Who is outside of Sunny Gray? Who is the second best upside for the Cardinals? I would say Miles Michaelis, but you're relying a lot on hope than you're relying on like oh well he can get there. I see. I was going to say probably Steven Matz, but I think Michaels is probably the correct answer because when I'm thinking upside, I'm thinking like swing and miss, like to oh, okay. give you a really solid yeah, five I'm, inning start. I'm just thinking from start to finish of game 162, that's and that's Matz. Like he might give you the high upside, but it's only going to be for 40 to 50 games. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know, man. I just looking at this rotation, and this is why, like we talked about it going into the, this off season of who is the formula to kind of follow. It was the Texas Rangers. Well. They didn't really follow that formula at all because they looked at it and said, well, what was our problem? It was innings pitch, and they didn't really get a second high upside play. And look, 
They still may make a trade for like a Dylan Cease. It, it's possible. I'm I'm skeptical of Very that. Very skeptical. But I mean, you mentioned it uh, right now. The way they talk about it, they really like their bullpen, and I think there's a lot of upside to this bullpen. I mean, if they get hit on some of these arms, I think Carriage is going to be a really good addition for them. They've got. We'll see what JoJo looks like in kind of a first full season with the St. Louis Cardinals, um, and then you look at all the, the Rule Five pick that they had. Everybody that they've brought in has got swing and miss. And if all these guys end up hitting. Yeah, this bullpen became deep. They've got a shuttle that can go between AAA and the major leagues. But I just don't – that is more of a postseason thing, which is good because we talk about it. they got to build for the regular season and build for the postseason. And they kind of seem to be giving off signs of, hey, we think we've done that with this bullpen. My concern, though, still is there's no upside in this rotation. And though you do need that in the postseason, you still need that in the regular season as well. Do you feel like the bullpen can shorten games, as John Mozalek has labeled it? Because I still think they're missing one more piece to get to that level. I think they're missing a guaranteed piece in it to where I would feel really comfortable. Agreed. Because my only guaranteed piece that I feel going into the season is Gallego, or um, Helsley. Yeah, I think I'm I'm with you there. Everything I, else I'm skeptical I, of. I feel pretty confident that Gio's going to get back to form. Yeah. I, I don't really know how to tell about it about Jojo Romero. I actually feel really good about Kittridge because he did come back yeah, from elbow surgery, did pitch well for the Tampa Bay Rays last year before the season ended. So, like, I actually feel pretty good about him, and I honestly think we could throw him into this certainty category. Yeah. I just think if you're going to build a dominant bullpen, you need another, I don't even know if I'd call him a setup guy, but another guy that you could bring in, like, the sixth inning in a high-leverage spot. And the hard part with that, that dominant bullpen or that bullpen that can shorten the game is you can't rely on it all season. You've got to have at least a rotation that doesn't put you in a bind to where you're using these guys in the fourth or fifth inning consistently. And honestly, I feel going into the season, there's three days that you might be calling your bullpen up and Gibson, Lynn, and Steven Matz. So that's another concern, at least for me, is do you have enough arms to get you through the season if those guys can't give you the proper innings that you need? And maybe you force them. Maybe you force them to give you those innings See, that I, they need. I don't have concern about the innings. It's just the effectiveness of the innings. Yeah, because well, that's true. Lance Lynn, innings eater. Kyle Gibson, innings eater. Miles Michaelis, innings eater. Yeah, Sonny Gray eating, can be an innings eater, but, but are you eating how many innings, earned runs are you giving up? Yeah, that's the thing. Are you eating innings when you're down by eight runs in the fourth inning? Yeah, and I don't think they would do that. But like, uh, my concern is like, okay, when we say innings eaters, what is the hope from Lance? And the hope is that he eats innings and gives you a quality start, right. and then you then you only have to go three innings with the bullpen. But is four earned runs in six or five earned runs in seven good enough? I don't know. That's kind of old school thinking. And, we'll, yeah. and look, maybe maybe this zig while everybody else is zagging will work out for the St. Louis Cardinals. I I don't know, but I they still need. And I think we're all in agreement here, and the Texans all in agreement here. They still need someone that can slot in ahead of Miles. Michael says it too. Absolutely, and I hope I'm eating crow in the middle of the season. And Lance Lynn has a rebound. Kyle Gibson looks better than what we anticipated, and John Mozeliak looks like a genius. But I'm very skeptical about that side of this rotation. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. The Blues. We've talked about an interesting situation now. But I also feel like they're in an even more interesting situation with the future in front of them. Because you got to decide. Compete or grow the young players. And that's a tough call for Doug Armstrong. We'll discuss that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You're making roster decisions and also lineup decisions on a nightly basis based on what are you trying to do? Are we trying to improve these guys? Or are we trying to win the game tonight? Right. And, and I think that's too hard. What I had a conversation with somebody at the practice today about this, Alex, is a lot of times what happens is you'll keep a coach 
knowing that he's going to be the coach to get you to the next coach. So is it a Drew Bannister who, you know, maybe you don't know if, if you hire him full time that he'll be here in three or four years, right. but you think he's the right guy for the job right now. And then you see how it goes, and then maybe you get to that point in three years where you're ready uh, to potentially take that next step, and, and maybe somebody else is out there. That's Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, Blues Insider, who was with us yesterday on BK and Ferrario, alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's a weird position to be in for the Blues, because on one hand, you're ready to compete. You've got a goaltender who can win you a series. You've got a defenseman who's back to being a number one guy, and you have a Selkie Trophy candidate in Robert Thomas and some good pieces around him. Buchnevich, Kairou, they've got a team that could compete. But you also are, are looking at this team... And saying, we can't go anywhere until Jimmy Snuggerud and Dalibor Dvorsky and Otto Stenberg and these types of players are here. And not only here just to be here, but here and ready to give us the production at the NHL level. And it's the murky middle that the Blues have to decide what to do. Because Drew Bannister has done a phenomenal job since he's taken over. But Drew Bannister also has a team that's about 500 since he's taken over, which is what they were prior to that. Now, the work ethic looks different. The accountability is absolutely different, but it's still the same result. You know if you're Doug Armstrong that Snuggerud's probably going to be here for next season. Dvorsky's might have an opportunity to be here next season. Is the more important part for your team finding the way to win and get back into the playoffs and be a threat? Or is it developing these younger players so that they can help you get to that juggernaut level you hope you become in three years? And as we heard Craig Berube say when he was let go, as Jeremy Rutherford just said, it is not an easy thing to do in the NHL to develop and compete. You're going to have to pick one side or the other. Otherwise, you're going to be doing this 500 game for a while. And I don't know how you can develop younger players if you're not competing. See, can I can I be honest? I think they're doing this right now, and I think they're doing it at a Pretty good level, honestly, because who are they trying to develop right now? They're trying to develop Jake Neighbors. Bolduke and Dean in the minors. Yeah, and they're down there playing, and we don't really care about the win-loss of the Springfield Thunderbirds. Sorry, Springfield, but they're down there developing their game. What I'm talking about is at the NHL level. Who are they developing at the NHL level this year? Perunovich. They're developing Neighbors. Castle and Neighbors. Thomas, who they were hoping to kind of—I'd still say he's in the development, kind of the back-end of development, because they want to see if he take the next step. Same with the Jordan Cairo. While also trying to compete for a playoff spot. And though they're not in the playoffs right now, they're just five points back. back. They're, they're a runaway that we talked about earlier from being a team that can kind of shoot themselves back into the playoff conversation. So I think they're actually doing a pretty good job of this right now. Now, is it difficult? Yes. But you know who the reason I think that they're doing this pretty well? It's because Neighbors has played pretty well this season. He's gone through some ebbs and flows, but you expect that from a rookie. Same with Scott Prunovich. I think he's played fairly well so far this season. Kessel's been fantastic that he's in the top four again after two games with Justin Falk returning from the uh, injury. Mm-hmm. And Robert Thomas has solidified himself clearly as the number one centerman. And Jordan Cairo, you're still waiting for a little bit more to see what happens with him. So I think they've done a pretty good job of developing the guys. The whole reason that they're not better, quote-unquote, not clearly in the playoff picture, is more on the veteran side of things. It's not on the young guys. This isn't like the Anaheim Ducks that we're looking at going, well, they're trying to get those guys to develop, but look, they keep losing hockey games, so they're more of, they're rebuilding. I think the Blues have done a fairly good job because all those young guys that I've mentioned, I think have had pretty good years and are developing at the NHL level while the team is staying competitive. And the only reason they're not in the playoff picture right now is because that second and third line are non-existent. And that is not young guys that are on that line. 
That is underperforming veterans. That is underperforming in a Kapanen, a Shen. Uh, Kevin Hayes, I think, has been okay for yeah. them. But that those are the guys, Brandon Saad, those uh-huh. are the guys that are the reason they're not more competitive this season. Not so much that it's the younger guys. Well, then, I, then it gets even harder if you're the Blues because – in that sense that you just brought up, then I would be looking to bring in a head coach that can compete. I would be looking at if Brendan Moore becomes available or if Quinville gets the opportunity to come back or even if Drew Bannister finds a way to win the rest of the way. I would look at finding guys that come in to start winning. Here's the issue, though. Guys that come in that want to start winning aren't concerned about how Jimmy Snuggerud looks, aren't concerned about how Dalibor Dvorsky looks and making sure he's growing the right way. They're more concerned about who gives me the best chance to win. And if those guys don't do it, if you're not willing to work with the training wheels on them, then you're not going to be develop them. Then you're in the minors. And then you're you're in the same spot where you're relying on these veterans that you keep doing the same thing. Because the one thing is very certain, this has been three years of you doing the same thing. Now, two years ago, you got into the playoffs and you arguably played pretty well. But now a lot of those guys are gone and what you're doing right now is what you had at the end of last season. Can you realistically get back into that winning window with these veterans if you feel like those guys are pro- progressing? That's the hard part that I don't know how you how you view this team because here's the other factor into it. If you don't get into that winning window, and Grant brought this up when we were doing more likely to happen, if, if you don't get into this winning window and start kind of competing for one of those playoff spots, how many more years of this level of Talent are you going to get from Colton Pareko and Jordan Bennington? Maybe they give it to you for the next five to six years, and on the back end of their their time in the NHL is when you're ready to start competing again. But on the flip side of that, what if it decreases significantly in year three? And now you've developed those guys, but now you're searching for a number one defenseman. Now you're searching for a number one goaltender. That's the hard part that it just feels like the Blues are in this weird spot of... We feel like these guys can give us an opportunity to win. That's what you went into the mindset this season. But we also need these other, we need the contributing pieces to step in. Yeah. And, you know, I think some of those kind of contributing pieces, as you mentioned, and I'm, I want to talk about Shen, Hayes, those guys for a second. Yeah. Some of that could be like, I think JR mentioned this yesterday. Correct me if I'm wrong. You know, is Braden Shen struggles because Braden Shen's on the down curve or is it because he doesn't have line mates around him to help prop up his numbers? That's a very good point. And that, that's the question that the Blues have to answer because I, I wouldn't think that Braden Shen has suddenly hit a wall and is not no longer going to be a guy that can produce for you in a second or third line role. I think it's more about the pieces that are around him when you look at his linemates. I, and I mentioned this at the beginning of our show. Jordan Kyra moved down to the second line today. I think it's partly, A, they want to add more depth of scoring throughout the lineup, but B, hopefully using putting him on a line with Brain Chen, maybe it leads to Brain Chen getting going here offensively. So I, I think the, that's the kind of question that they have to answer. And I think that like when we're talking about the Jimmy Snuggerudes, the Dvorskys, the Bulldukes, the Zachary Deans, I think if you continue to bring those guys along, as long as you still have a veteran presence in the lineup and you're not forcing them up in the lineup quickly. Like yeah. I, last year, when they made the trade deadline, like it made sense to move Kyron Thomas to the top line. Yeah. Why? Because they needed that experience. But you can't just go into a season going, okay, we want a rookie to be on our top line yeah. with a Jordan Cairo and a, and a Robert Thomas because that's when you start to rush the process along. That's why like it's going to be interesting to see what happens with a Jimmy Snuggerud because are they going to just immediately say, hey, onto the top line goes Jimmy Snuggerud? Or do you put him kind of like in that third line role when he's a rookie? 
allow him to kind of see what it's like, what it takes to be up on the top line, and slowly work him, work him, progress him up to that spot. Maybe, and the other factor into it too is, depending on how the Blues view themselves, look at what they're doing with Bolduc and Dean this year. They're not going to touch the NHL, more likely, because they want them to figure out how to be a pro at the minor league level. Do they do the same thing with a Jimmy Snuggerud or Dalibor Dvorsky or Stenberg and say, like, yeah, we need you to develop before? Because it's more than just scoring goals at the NHL level. You got to figure out what Drew Bannister's trying to teach these guys right now in terms of putting the puck in the right position at the right time of the game. You know, not trying to deke somebody into the offensive zone with three minutes left to go in a period and then getting it picked off and going the other direction. That's why the, the development side of a coach that can try and find ways to win might be more beneficial for the Blues than somebody to come in and try to win while developing. Because the development side is how you remain successful. The the winning and then development is secondary is how you're a lot of one and dones. And I think that would be the concern if I'm a Blues fan that happens with a Snuggeroo, Dvorsky, Stenberg, and things like that. So interesting time for the St. Louis Blues that potentially could have some... To the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's get into some NFL quick hitters here on BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario as we head into Wild Card Weekend or Division Weekend, whatever you want to call it. What's it called? It's Division Weekend, right? Yes, sir. I forgot that their super wild card used to be their wild card, but because everybody gets in, it's now super wild card. So confusing. And I don't know. I just don't like all the people get there. If it's a brain fart, it's okay. It's, it is brain we all have because them. it's so hot in this damn room. That's why the brain farts there. I want to start with Jim Harbaugh because he conducted another interview. I think it was with the Atlanta Falcons after doing the interview with the Chargers. I'm not sure he's done interviews with anybody else, but I heard his brother, John, on a podcast with Adam Schefter yesterday, and they were talking about Jim, and John said he may be the best team builder in football right now. Nobody builds a team better. He knows how to put it together top to bottom. We've talked about the best spots for Jim Harbaugh and you know where he can have success in. Hearing that statement from John, does it change your opinion on where Jim Harbaugh would be best suited? Because I kind of wonder if the Falcons are the spot now. Like, I always thought it was the Chargers or the Cowboys because they're ready to win now. Not that the Falcons aren't, but if this is a guy who knows how to develop a program and develop a team, you've got offensive weapons, you've got a good defense in place, you're looking for a quarterback, man, I might want Jim Harbaugh on that team if he can develop me a, a, a consistent winner. Yeah, I, I'm i kind of torn as who I think is the best fit for the Falcons because Bill Belichick arguably the best coach of all time, if, if there even is an argument, who, if you brought him in, is going to make the defense even better. Even if you don't like the Falcons' defense, adding Bill Belichick increases where you would rank them in the NFL automatically. But then, as you mentioned, as Harbaugh, kind of developing a team, a team that doesn't really know what winning is right now in the Atlanta Falcons. Like, they've been competitive. They've got really good weapons. But they don't have a quarterback, and they haven't won a whole lot. They didn't win anything with Arthur Smith, because that guy was terrible. But... So I understand the argument for bringing in Harbaugh. If I'm the Falcons, though, I think I am looking more so at Bill Belichick. Really? Just because he is the GOAT. And I think you bring him in. But and are I you understand- worried he ruins it in terms of taking it over and drafting the wrong people? No. Well, I think if you bring him in, it, it'll be interesting to see what he does in terms of like control. 
Yeah. I, I would assume that he's not going to take overall player personnel because that's what got him in trouble in New England, as yeah. we saw. Um, I, I still think you go with Bill Belichick because I, I think, as we've seen, he is a great head coach, still good defensively. That Patriots team was had yeah. moments where they were pretty good defensively this past season. Which I'm Their surprised he's just not, a nightmare. I'm surprised he's not bringing over his son and some of the defensive play callers from New England with him wherever he goes. And, and I believe, and look, this is just pure speculation, I believe Josh McDaniel's terrible head coach. Genuinely awful. Very true. Great offensive coordinator. Yeah. And I, I think you bring him in, you draft the quarterback, or you trade for Justin Fields. Like, it all makes sense. I would still say Bill Belichick. I love the idea of Jim Harbaugh in Atlanta if Belichick decides to pass up on that job. or they If they decided Harbaugh over Belichick, I'd have no issue with it. I think Harbaugh makes so much more sense for the Chargers because he's, he's apparently reportedly really high on Justin Herbert, loves his game, and that's another team that just doesn't really know what it takes to win. Like, they yeah. were okay under Brandon Staley, but they never did anything meaningful under Brandon Staley. So I I, I like Harbaugh to the Chargers. Another coach that I'm um, kind of surprised by this, but it was also expected, if that makes sense. Mike Tomlin basically stating that he's returning to Pittsburgh. He's letting the team know that he's going to be back coaching next year. And that's following his postgame press conference where he just walked off the stage when he was asked about his future with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Man, if you're him, is this the best decision? Like, I know ownership loves you. I know you've pretty much got the the undisclosed, like you can't be fired because of who you are and the success you've had. Man, if I'm Mike Tomlin, I'm kind of sick of being a middling team. I'd like to start winning. And, man, there's so many teams out there that you could start winning with. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised by this because I thought all the reports that had been coming out, like in the previous month, were kind of leading towards a, hey, either the Steelers trade Tomlin or Tomlin takes a year off and goes like the Sean Payton route. So to see him come back was a little bit surprising. I, I'll be I'll be fascinated to know what they do this offseason because Mike Tomlin I don't think would return if he was told by you know the GM and ownership like, hey, we're running it back with Kenny Pickett. I, I, don't, I think Tomlin would go, ah, you're off, please. Yeah, I'm out, please. So I, I think they're going to be aggressive in trying to find whoever that quarterback is. My guess they'll probably end Mason up with Rudolph. another stopgap. Gosh, that would be terrible. <laughs> um, but I, this was interesting. And I, I'll be curious because he's only got one year left on his deal. And we saw this new precedent get set in baseball. I'll be curious. He may try to go to the Craig Council route after next year. Yeah. To where it is the contract comes up and then it's, hey, guess who's a free agent? And what will arguably be probably, my guess, a down year in the coaching cycle. Yeah, you're not wrong. Because this year, if he decided, hey, I want to go elsewhere, he would have been in the same uh, list of Mike Vrabel, uh, Jim Harbaugh, and Bill Belichick. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd probably put him, what, fourth on that list? Uh, I would put Tomlin... Like, I'd have Rabel above Tomlin. I'd probably have him second. Ooh, I'd probably I don't have him know about that. The fact that he's been able to have winning seasons with the quarterbacks that he has had, like, he's done with the Steelers, even what Bill Belichick couldn't yeah. do with the Patriots with Mac Jones. Yeah. So I, I think what Tomlin has done with the lack of quarterbacks in that organization has yeah. been nothing short point. of fantastic. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I could see that one. Okay, so speaking of quarterbacks, uh, we got our... our First big mock draft of the season. The Athletic put put their mock draft out in. You had four quarterbacks go in that first round. It was Caleb Williams. It was Drake May. It was Jaden Daniels and J.J. McCarthy. I guess they're just assuming Jim Harbaugh is going to select that guy at whatever team he decides to go with. But uh, both Penix and Knicks were second round draft picks on this mock draft. Did you agree with that? Do you agree with kind of the mock drafts of the quarterbacks in that first round? Because I don't. I don't think McCarthy should be a, ta- a first-round pick. 
Yeah, I I think we I think three year guaranteed locks, I think, in the first round. And this is early on before we even at the combine, but I, Caleb Williams Drake May, that's gonna be the one two combo. And I don't see that changing up until draft night. Jaden Daniels is the one that's going to be interesting. I think he's going to be a first-round pick. I just don't know what his ceiling is, and I don't know who's going to take the risk on him. Like, if Belichick's with the Atlanta Falcons, I don't see them taking Jalen Daniels with their eighth overall pick, but we'll see. Really? I, I McCarthy, to me, is not a first-round pick. They had him going to the Rams, and I, I'll tell you right now, the Rams are not drafting a quarterback in the first round. <laughs> they got a um, lot of other problems. And Bo Nix and Michael Penix, I don't think are first-round picks either. I think Penix is a guy that kind of I slides. I think he's going to go in the Will Levis range. And Levis went, what was it, second or third round? Uh-huh. I think that's where he's going to go this year as well. So I think you see three locks in the first round. I think J.J. McCarthy is borderline. I just don't know. Jaden Daniels is probably a borderline top 10. I like Jaden Daniels of the Falcons, depending on if you get the right coach. Like If you get the right coach, I think he could have success there, which is Belichick, Jim Harbaugh, depending on who signs there. I don't like Jaden Daniels if you get a coach who can't work with that young quarterback because that's going to take some grooming that's going to need to take place with those guys. Uh, speaking of those, teams that missed the playoffs last year. Let's go down the path of the guys that missed the playoffs. They make their adjustments Who's a playoff team in your in your opinion to where one season you miss, next year you're in it? Yeah, I think the I've seen a lot of talk around, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals. I I can see it, but they're going to be missing two of their top three wide receivers are free agents at the end of the year. So I'm a little little skeptical if they're going to be the team that ends up doing it. And their quarterback's not the picture of health these days. Yeah, I I think the team for me is the Indianapolis Colts, and I love I love what they did this year. Yeah, look, they went nine and eight with Gardner Minshew for most of the year. They're going to get Anthony Richardson back if he can stay healthy, and they add a couple pieces to the defense, and they find they find a way to just keep Richardson on the field. To me, they are a, they are a playoff team next year, and a team that I think could potentially advance to the divisional round. I think the Bengals are up high on my list. They're probably like right there with the Colts because they have Joe Burrow, and he was injured this year. But I love the Indianapolis Colts and what they are building. Mine's the Falcons. I think they win the NFC South next year. I think they get the right coach. I think if they draft the right quarterback, you've got all the pieces in place. And frankly, that NFC South isn't going to be as di- uh, Easiest scary. path. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like Mike Evans probably isn't going to be back. Um, you're going to stick with Baker Mayfield, which, okay, fine. Your defense is awesome, but at what point does that start to falter? Saints aren't doing anything. Panthers are just an embarrassment right now. I think the Falcons get the right coach and get the right quarterback, which is easier said than done. But with all of these guys out there and with drafting in the top 10, I mine would be the Falcons, and I think they could win that NFC South. I think they could be a 10 or 11 win team next year. My team's the Chargers, and I don't think it's, I think it's going to be in a it's wild a one, card two. position because... Given the Chiefs go into the wide receiver market, which I think they will, I think they're going to lock up that division. But Brandon Staley was a cancer for that team. Yeah, he was. Like, they get a different head coach with that offense. There's no reason why they shouldn't make the playoffs next season. Are the Bears? So the only reason I ask is, like, depending on what they do, the adjustments they make, you still have to deal with the Packers and the Lions. So, like, the only way you're in is a wild card team. But if you also look at the NFC, you you know the clear-cut division winners. But then beyond that, as we just saw, anybody can take that wild card spot. Like, is that going to be? Is that going to be, or is the NFC South going to be, or not the NFC South, the NFC West going to be the toughest division next year? Because that'll have the Niners, the Rams, and the Seahawks. 
Yeah, it depends on what the Seahawks do. I'm a little skeptical of them. Yeah, they got they got to nail the coach. I think the Rams are going to be really good next year, I, and that's not just saying that as a Rams fan. Mm. I, they're going to add significantly this offseason to that defense. Um, I can hear the argument for the Bears. Be, it, it just depends on what are they doing. Right. Quarterback. Yeah, my guess, if they reset the clock, I would say no, because there's going to be learning curves with Caleb Williams. Right. They stick with Justin Fields. Get Marvin Harrison. I, yeah, I, I could hear the argument for them making the playoffs. I just don't have much trust in Matt Eberflus, even though he did a great job with that defense yeah. this past year. Hearing the names are being kind of float around for that offensive coordinator job, eh, call me skeptical on the Chicago Bears. That makes sense. I still think they'd be better off keeping Justin Fields. I do too. A guy that wants to be there, and he's had some progression over the years. I think it's a big thing when – a quarterback wants to play somewhere. Yeah. Like, especially on a team that hasn't had much success over the last couple and of years. And when you've got two top 10 picks where if you feel like you build got the right quarterback, him. you build around them. Yeah. That's where I'm at. But I feel like around the National Football League, everyone thinks like T-Bone, reset the clock. That's the smart thing to do. Get your next big quarterback, trade fields, and still draft something in the top 10 with that other pick. Yeah, and imagine, like, and I'm not saying I think he will be this because I think Caleb Williams is a better quarterback, but imagine Caleb Williams becomes the next Bryce Young. Yeah. And then you've really set yourself back. Imagine he becomes the next Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Which is the part I hate about the freaking draft. It's like, well, he could be this, he could be that. Good luck. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Meanwhile, I also, you know, uh, said Blue should be bad and draft a guy that's going to be the next Victor Hedman. But I believe in that one. Six foot seven guy from Russia. Speaking of the Blues, we'll rewind it with them. Drew Bannister had some comments on Adam Gaudet, who's joining the Blues. We'll close it down with that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. Here on BK and Ferrario, Grant Francis, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Grant will be uh, on Blues duty, so we'll have Bradford Bruns uh, with us tomorrow. Grant will be back with us on Friday. Let's rewind it with the the news from the Blues earlier today uh, of Kasperi Kapanen headed to the four-week or the injured reserve, which is at minimum four weeks, uh, with that lower body injury. Uh, And the Blues activated Adam Gaudet or brought up Adam Gaudet from the Springfield Thunderbirds. He's got 24 goals or 27 goals, that is. No, he's 27. He has 24 goals. Easy for me to say uh, in the American Hockey League. This was Drew Bannister earlier today. He shoots the puck. He likes to shoot. He likes to score. He had a lot of success when I was there, and he's continued that success. Very competitive, strong on a stick, and battles for pucks. But he's not shy to shoot the puck. That's for sure. Man, that's the that's the player that the Blues, I think, have been looking for for the last three, four weeks. Dude who's just not afraid to shoot the puck. And Grant brought it up during the commercial break. Uh, his best year was when he was playing with the Vancouver Canucks back the Stanley Cup season for the Blues. He had 12 goals that year. Four of those 12 came on the power play. I'm not saying he's going to be on the power play. Frankly, it's working right now. You don't change it. But what I am saying is you're looking for secondary scoring. Watch for Adam Gaudet to at minimum 
have three or more shots on goal because if he's going to provide that mindset, man, that's going to benefit this Blues team, and hopefully it's a trend that leaks out into the other players. Yeah, that's the kind of mindset that they've needed, and more specifically in that kind of middle line, line two and three. And Drew Banzer already confirmed earlier today he's going to be on the third line tomorrow night in Which Washington. Which means Sundquist will probably be the centerman with Sod. Yeah, and Walker's probably going down to the fourth line, and Blay or Alexander yeah. is going to be a scratch. Um, I, I'm glad to see them at least give him an opportunity because you're right, they needed somebody that's going to shoot the puck. Now, what they don't need is someone that's going to shoot the puck and then just kind of skate freely around in the defensive zone. They right. need someone that's still going to have some structure to their defensively. We'll see if Godet can do that. But they needed some sort of spark in the middle six. And, I, and I'm glad to see Drew Banister kind of go with some of the changes that he has done. You know, bumping Cairo down to the second line, moving neighbors back up to that top line, giving Gaudet an opportunity now here at the NHL level to just see if there's some kind of spark because they've just been cycling through some of yeah. these guys in the AHL. And it's just a constant churn. It's a, He comes up, he maybe has one good game, really struggles, and then goes right back down to the AHL. You know who I think uh, Adam Gaudet is? Adam Gaudet. Well, aside from himself. Oh, okay. Sorry. I think he's Josh Levo. Oh, crap. Like, he's going to come in, score a few goals. I mean, if you look at what Levo did last season, he had four goals, 12 assists, 16 points in 51 See, games. I think he's different than he's Levo, He's got though. a little bit of more offensive upside, I, I think. Levo felt like he never wanted to shoot. Levo always felt like he was going to try and win puck battles and get the puck to O'Reilly. Like, I think Adam Gaudet is going to be very selfish on the ice, which I don't think is a bad thing. But, I mean, I, I see what you're saying about Levo because Levo was just that prototypical AHL guy that could play at the NHL. But it always felt like, I mean, he scored, what, 40 goals the year prior to the Blues bringing him in in the American Hockey League, and it's like he never wanted to shoot the puck. That's why he got to that fourth line, whereas, like, if Adam Gaudet's going to come up here, it's going to be the, I can score goals and I'm just going to shoot. I don't know if that's going to be good or bad. To T-Bone's point, you're going to have to be good, at least responsible defensively, but... Man, I just want somebody to come up and put six, seven shots on goal. I hope he replicates that mentality from the AHL to the NHL. Absolutely. You know, a couple of other factors into this, what I like. One, we can we can like get past the, like, oh, Adam Gaudet needs a shot. If it's bad, then you just forget about it and you move on. Just like we have did with Jakub Verana. If it's bad, you move on. If it's good, you keep giving him a shot to find out who he is. The other thing is I like this for Zachary Bolduc's development. You you now have already put him to the top line because Walker's been up. Uh, you brought Sammy Blay back. Alexandrov's back. Bolduc is becoming the top guy in the minors, and that's what you want if you're Doug Armstrong in terms of development for Zachary Bolduc. Again, I don't think it has anything to do with the NHL. I'm not sure he tastes the NHL this season, but I like the fact that he's becoming the top guy for them, which is good in terms of development. So Adam Gaudet will be back in action uh, tomorrow, or in action tomorrow with the Capitals. Grant and I will have your pregame with Joe Vitale starting at 5 o'clock with puck drop at 6. We'll be back with you tomorrow. If you missed anything from the show today, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You can also go back and rewatch it on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. Studio cams brought to you by the Air Alliance team. Fast Lane coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.